Max RPG Podcast. I'm in Max, 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 Pursuing the RPG hobby with reckless abandon. Why, hello, and welcome to Season 20, Episode 3, three. of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. I'm Jim. I'm Mike. I'm Stork. And here we are. Can you hear me? Am I muted? Am I, am I on the right mic? I don't know. I can kind of hear you. Tap the mic. Now it's dead. Use the one from the other side. Oh, wait. Now try it. Yeah? Better? You're good. Better? You're good. All right. We're there good. we go. Button mashing. We figured it out. Yes. It works for Soul Calibur. It'll work here. That's right. That's the only thing that works for Soul Calibur. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, in this episode... First of all... If you guys don't recognize these people, we should introduce them first, and then we can talk about this episode, yeah? Sure, if you want, yeah. So Who are you, and what do you do that makes you famous? You've been on before, both of you have been on before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my name is Jim Sandoval, and I am the uh, current uh, head of RPGs at, for the Strategicon series of conventions. Uh, Mike James Miniatures, director and acting event coordinator for Strategicon. There we go. In this episode, we're going to talk to Mike and Jim about Strategicon, about the upcoming convention, which is next weekend. Yes. For Gateway. Gateway. Gateway 2017. Very excited. Can you believe it? It's almost here. It's almost here. <laughs> what number is this now? This is the 39th year, I think? Yeah, something Ooh. like that. So next yeah. year's like kind of an anniversary thing. Yeah, next year would be a nice thing to do something for the 40th anniversary. We should yeah. probably think about that. <laughs> uh, but the thing is, a lot of these conventions, uh, their start date is lost to history. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, right. well, it's nebulous because originally all three cons were started by different groups at different times for different reasons. They just eventually ended up under the same banner. Kind of OrkCon was early seventies. It was originally Orange County Convention, and the HMGS started it. Oh, that's the Ork and OrkCon. Yep. Oh. That's that, now granted. That's what I've heard from multiple sources. But you know, uh, judging from the age of those sources, it can probably be per- fairly reliable. Oh, they're war gamers, of course they're old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the plural of anecdote is not data, so keep that in mind. Right. Old war gamers <laughs> never die; they're just waiting to move. I just made that up. Right. Put, put that on the t-shirt. They're just waiting for the argument. Right? <laughs> yeah, he's just waiting for you. Uh, I'm going to re- relate a little bit about Gen Con. Clockwork Monk is looking for superheroic conflict in all the wrong places. Uh, Zaras from Poland writes in with some questions, and Amar from Vancouver sends us a GM confession. But first. If you'd like to email us, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. We have a forum, and you should go check it out, happyjacks.org slash forum. Uh, we also have, or on Twitter, happyjacksrpg, all one word, and also on the Instagrams, happyjacksrpg, all one word. I like our forum. Uh, there's many a time when I've had questions, and I post and uh, answer <laughs> some. I say right now, your, your forum is one of the most uh, fecund sources of, inform- of RPG information that I've ever found. Uh, Sir, I, I take umbrage with that. <laughs> if I knew what fecund was, I think I... Think um, I is that like no, I mean, it, 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 it means it's fertile. Um, oh. Uh, but, dude, it, when, whenever you want to reach out when you're in a, har- in a, in a tough spot, I don't even bother to ask the question a lot of times. I just look it up in the search, and usually there's already a discussion for it. The the, uh, the the bench is pretty deep there, and there's a lot of really good advice and a lot of really good things to 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 uh, latch onto, uh, it, whether you're a GM or a player. I actually agree. Uh, there's, I mean, the other day I posted something like 
a question that I got, I don't know, some very polite, well thought out answers. It's and then Flame Wars, too. We also Occasionally. Have, we have some of the best. <coughs> you, you, you guys do have some of the best. <laughs> <laughs> role, role players are creative by nature, and therefore, I'm sure those must get very. I've been on some other forums. I mean, even the YouTube comments and places get worse than our forum. Well, but there's worse. I mean, you can have a flame war that's entertaining. That's true. Or you can have just, you know, vile cesspool of scum and villainy. Right. (laughs) But usually I find that the community you guys have built is is a pretty fairly positive community. Actually, almost exclusively positive community and very supportive of the hobby. And... uh, you know, and with the internet the way it is nowadays, that's that's not the easiest thing to find. I, I recently went back on Bolter and Chainsword since I got back into 40k, and uh, yeah, man, <laughs> some of those guys can be really vicious. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I stopped playing 40k with other 40k players. <laughs> Once again, you're just stuck playing with yourself. <laughs> so we had we had some. Um, uh, uh, you guys had some some news and some stuff you wanted to talk about about next week's convention. Okay, yeah. So. Um, well, uh, I, uh, I'll just start off right from the beginning. Um, the reason why Mike is now the acting uh, uh, what was the term? Uh, event coordinator. Event coordinator <coughs> is that our previous event coordinator, who was in a lot of ways sort of very pivotal to the convention uh, and also our very close friend, uh, passed away uh, three or four weeks ago. And which leaves a gigantic void, uh, not only with his friends, but at the convention. And um, there are likely to be some changes coming down the pipe when it, as people try to basically fill in certain positions. I know Mike will probably uh, fill that position, uh, and then <coughs> we would have an opening in minis, which uh, may or may not be taken over by me. Uh, and there may be a change in RPGs if that happens. Um, so it's 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 a pretty big um, loss, and, a, and it's going to cause a little bit of turmoil, and, and it's going to be a weird con for everybody who runs it because Tim was very close to pretty much everybody that 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 is at the higher end of running that convention. So it's uh, it's it's a sad situation, but I wanted to warn everybody ahead of time that starting at Orcon, there may be some changes coming up. Uh, but I will definitely keep everybody informed on the forums and uh, expect no changes as of now. Everything is running exactly the way it should be. Uh, our entire focus as a group has been let's get through the show, <coughs> let's make sure everything, uh, all our I's are dotted and T's are crossed, and then as we ramp up for Oricon, we'll make whatever decisions we need to make. <coughs> is there anything that we can do as participants to help your, help you with that? Um, well, it other than if anybody's interested in maybe joining the group and uh, volunteering some of their time, uh, we're completely run off volunteers. Uh, nobody makes a penny here. So, you know, if, if you're motivated, you're passionate about the hobby, and you're passionate about uh, spreading it and, uh, and seeing people enjoy it, um, I highly encourage you to join us um, there. It's a tax shut though, right? Uh, uh, maybe. Maybe hotel room. Uh, if if you yeah, actually, <laughs> it, 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 we are not actually classified as a nonprofit. We're uh, an LLP, I believe. Yeah, I forget. Yeah, uh, LLC. An LLC. Uh, it, it we we tried to incorporate as as a nonprofit, and it turned out to be uh, difficult. And there were a lot of things barring us from mm-hmm. that because they're very selective about mm-hmm. who gets that status. Understandably. 
Um, but, you know, really, the only reason, the only valid reason for, for working this job, like Mike and I do, is because you love, you love the games, you love the people, and you want to see uh, the hobby expand and touch as many people as possible in, in a positive way. So if you have that kind of, uh, that, that, that kind of fire in you, um, we, <coughs> have a, we have a place for you. Um, uh, so if, if I want to help out, is there anything, a prerequisites or something that you guys would like, organizational skills or, um, mean, uh, passion is great, but there are so many, and there are so many things that we do and there are so many things that you can volunteer doing, uh, anything from helping break down and, uh, and set up to, uh, yeah. mm. To just helping out in an HQ and making yourself available for a few hours to just answer questions and direct people. You really don't need any skills other than being able to speak the language fluently enough to, to, to get by. Yeah, there's so there's so many jobs that need to be done as a general rule. Yeah. If you're free Thursday evenings, that's when we move in. If you stay late at Con on Monday, that's when we move out. Uh, also, there, every single department has to have a manned HQ uh, that requires one or two people there being there at all, at all times, and there are some departments that are open twenty four hours. Oof. So, wow. uh, you know, uh, we have a lot of great people like uh, Will Hillstrom, who runs our party games, that basically stays up till four o'clock in the morning every day throughout the entire weekend. Crazy, because that's where Werewolf right. and all those games get played. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the, so, the, the, the Night Watch. We yeah. have four people who stay in the main ballroom. There are security at night. What they do is they basically they work from ten till. Six or seven in the morning, and what they just play games all night. Mm-hmm. And there's four or five of them, and they're just in there. And they just play games and make sure nobody takes anything, and that's it. Right. <laughs> and they, but, but that's but they get a badge in a hotel or everything else for literally just playing games and doing this every now and then. Because we know it's a sucky job. Um, right. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that there are, there there are no perks. There are plenty of perks. I mean, you volunteer for us. There's there's free entry into the con- into mm-hmm. the convention. You'll, you'll get a badge. Um, At a certain level, you will get a part of a hotel room. Yeah, we we do quote, uh, hotel rooms in, in quarters and halves and that kind of thing. We'll, we'll re- we we will supplement uh, as needed. Uh, there are very few people that get their the entire full ride done for them. And oh, I can't think of anybody. Can't really. Oh, maybe Eric, but that yeah. doesn't count because even his wife does stuff. So yeah, they split a room. Like Jim and his wife, they split a room, but they both qualify. The barman head, and she's the senior volunteer at miniatures. So yeah, well, as I learned last con, I can't run my department without her. So <laughs> I, I had to do actual work and stuff, and I'm like, I don't know where anything is or how this works anymore because she's got it handled on lockdown. So I'm she's, like, she's a she's a doll, and she doesn't really even play miniatures games. She's just really good at organizing things. Oh my and, god, and wants to be helpful. Uh, so and she runs the painting contest. Yep. that we have. So if you're good at organizing. Things apply at Strategicon. We just well, always, that, 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 that always skill. helps. That, that, that's always and a good. If thing. you like working a spreadsheet, you're in. <laughs> uh, and, and that's the way that uh, actually Tim told me when I first started off. Says if you're good at at setting up tables, working out a spreadsheet, and organizing things, you're 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 going to be fine in this job. And that's really what it takes. It's just takes a whole lot knowing a whole lot of different element, elements, putting them together, and making them run. And we have a we have a Happy Jacks listener that stepped up. Uh, Tomes and mm-hmm. came in. Well, he's and doing games on demand. He's doing games yeah. on demand for me. And, and now yeah. it's become a whole. I mean, he's right. run with it. Well, it's really not neat. only is Tomes one of the most fabulously wonderful human beings I've ever met in my life. He's just the sweetheart. He's. I've never seen him uh, anything other than jovial and and uh, and 
and he's, a great guy. he's just a great guy. Yep. Uh, but he's doing a great job in getting <coughs> games on demand going. Uh, actually, if anybody's bringing kids, there is a kids only games on demand on on, uh, on Sunday. Are you running those too? Uh, no, no, I'm bringing two kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, the, the nice thing is, is we have kids events in every department. There's also a a set aside. You can go there. One of the cool things is they've just got stuff there. A lot of the kids events run there, and they've also got. Uh, things on the wall that say if your kids are in this age range, you know these are like a good starter games for them, or in this range. And of and course, they have their own little independent games library too. They do, so and we have a games library. I mean, that's a, that's another spot where you can help out too. Games library is always looking for people just to, to make sure they can. But really, we're always stuff. looking for people that are willing to sit behind a desk and and just answer questions and do stuff. It, it, you don't have to be a department head. You don't have to be anything crazy, super that takes hours and hours of prep that we do before the con and after. Uh, there are there are situations where you can just help out for four, four eight hours, get a get a badge, and just you know um, support the community and, and be there for the community. Yeah, you need like for example, people manning those tables that check in and check out the games. You know, exactly, sure you know, registration. Right. And I mean, there there are so many elements to this to, to the machine that runs it, and it, and it's all completely fueled by people that will do things just out of the kindness of their heart and the fact that they they, they love the convention and they love what they what we do for them. So it's sort of a symbiotic relationship. You know, the, ex- the, the con exists because they're there, and the, the con is there because they want to be. And, uh, uh, you know, bringing up something earlier, I just love the fact that this con has become such a family event. Yeah. Um, when we started even eight, nine years ago, very few children there. And those that were there were sort of running feral and people were glaring and scans. But now people are bringing their kids and kids are playing and they're polite and they're, they're enjoying the thing. And it's, it's, the con has become a, a, a big family event for lots of people. It's just the kids look forward You'll to even it. see, I mean, just Sophie the Blood Queen, who is basically this little <laughs> girl who played uh, Circus, Circus Maximus. Maximus. Uh, now she volu- now she helps. Her, her mom is one of his main volunteers, and yep, she helps out a lot go. too. And you really, when when you look at it right, this is the future of the con. That's yeah. right. If you don't take care of the kids, who's going to come in it, ten it, years? And we've managed to turn volunteering for the con into a family event. So, That's <laughs> nice. but uh, you know what? Basically, we just wanted to let you guys know that. Uh, that there may be some changes on the way, and uh, you know we're, we we're going to make the best choices we possibly can to make sure that in the back end you never feel any difference. Uh, but uh, uh, just wanted to relay the fact that a Tim Keenan, uh, who was anybody who has ever had fun at this convention, <coughs> he is one of the people that caused that fun. Um, he assigns assign. He, we called him the master of time and space because. Uh, all of the space and all the time slots were basically him his to to manage. And whenever you know, when when we had the Happy Jacks podcast and the Santa Monica Sea flooded from the ceiling, and we just needed to find some place to hold the podcast, uh, we basically turned that hotel upside down, and Tim found a place to have it. And that he was like that kind of guy. He put out fires and um, he he made things easier for everybody. So a lot of the times where you things everything's working so great and seamlessly, it's because of the tireless efforts of. of of Tim, and he will be greatly missed. But that's enough time on our convention. We have other topics to talk about. Well, I was going to say, so, all of your so stuff. if you're at the con and Jim and Mike look a little stressed, give them some space. <laughs> or, or, you know, bring them in. No, we can bring them yeah, in. Bring man him in. Buy them a beer. Actually, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take hugs. Yeah. <laughs> and whiskey. But, but really, uh, you know, I, there, there'll, be, there'll be a little bit of if it was purchased at, at the, the convention. Indeed. Or, <clears throat> third floor patio. Drink away, folks. Drink yeah. away. <laughs> 
you know, get drunk in your room, walk out. That's why that's why all the staff gets the third floor because we like going out to the patio drinking. Oh yeah. Yeah, ten o'clock when we all walk upstairs, all the sliding glass doors on the third floor open out into a patio. There's chairs, tables, and likely booze and drunken staffers. If you ever want to stumble somewhere for free booze, always come to the floor. Oh, oh yeah. Right. Floor. You've heard it here. That's yeah. it. That sounds like an invite to me. Absolutely. Any Anybody in this community is invited to come drink with me in the third floor patio. At 21 and over, please. 21 and over, please. Well, you know, or <laughs> under if we also have non-alcoholic drinks. Actually, yes. I'd like to point out one cool thing that we're doing here for the first time at this convention. We're having a group called the Saber Legion come in. It was actually one of Tim's last projects he was working on. And essentially, it's it's People who were like kendo sword fighters beforehand, and they're all Star Wars enthusiasts, so they have custom-made lightsabers, and they wear lacrosse gear and beat the hell out of each other. Oh, really? It's basically yeah. a sword MMA, yep. which is really kind of very interesting to watch because you have people that have actually studied Ger- German longsword, people that have studied fencing, people that have studied kendo, all of these different uh, sword disciplines, and uh, they come in and they, they, they do the lightsaber dueling, and it's just fascinating to see somebody doing like a, a, a perfect fencing lunge versus someone who is basically has a, a kendo pose and is and is just doing that and it's just it's it's a sword MMA and it's super fun to watch and we're very happy to have them uh, come over here and they're doing a little uh, uh, exhibitionary uh, yeah uh, that, that, that's cool and brand new and I figured I'd throw them to love so where yeah, are they so doing that? that well, once again that's going to be in the third floor courtyard that's Pasadena in the, do- in the dark right? Pasadena, no yeah in the dark so you can see <laughs> the light well, actually there's two there's, it happens twice yeah they're doing it they're, they're, they're actually having their own competition their own tournament on Saturday night from 6 to 9 and there'll be some some not vendors but people exhibiting the stuff that you can you can get there and they're going to walk you through it and then Sunday during the day I want to say 11 to 2 Will be kind of like the, you can go down there, ask some questions, maybe try it out a little bit, that kind of stuff, because they're also using it as a recruiting tool. So, oh, okay, so, yeah. But, but passing the garden, third floor. If you're interested in Star Wars or Saber Legion or watching people beat each other with plastic sticks, which is always fun, come join us. Yeah. That's right. Excellent. So I, I went to Gen Con fifty. Awesome, cool. I did not <clears throat> uh, when when we signed up to go, we did not realize this was going to be the fiftieth anniversary of Gen Con. And as such, it was. It has. They don't have a final number, but it is. It was the first Gen Con in the history of Gen Cons that has been sold out. Mm. They stopped selling tickets. There was a sign on every entrance door, letting everyone know all passes are sold out. Wow! Wow! Uh, to give you an idea, last year their number was sixty thousand eight hundred nineteen. So I'm assuming it was something over that. Yeah. Um. It, it was. I was. We, Bill and I, with, we didn't pre-gen for anything, which we found out is you have to do. Have okay. To but we important safety tip, folks. Mm-hmm. Thank God for <coughs> games on demand. <laughs> we went to the games on demand, and were able to get into a game. We we, we played exactly one role-playing game the entire four wow. days of the convention. <laughs> Every time I tried to get into something, I'd look and I'd go on my phone. I was looking through the catalog. You saw a big catalog. Yeah, so I was yeah. going through the catalog looking for stuff. Then I'd get on my phone and see if there were any tickets or any spaces available because they do everything with tickets. Okay. Um, and I would go on and the tickets cost money. It actually costs money. You, you, you pay to get in and then you pay for every game you play. Wow. Okay. Oh, you didn't know almost, that? I did almost know every that. game. Yeah, they did that. Uh, I, I ran into that when Gen Con was out here for the two years they had it, and I thought that was bizarre. Gen Con West. Just, yeah. yeah. Right. I remember that. Just imagine that, but oh. with people. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason why it was only two of them. Right. Yeah. 
But Although that might change if they tried that again now. Um, Maybe. Wouldn't that compete with what you're doing, though? But there's still, th- I that. mean, there's three conventions here. Yeah. It's not like, oh, we never have any conventions. I mean, and there's a bunch of conventions in Northern California, too. I mean, Exactly, and there's a bunch in San Diego, yeah, too. And, yeah, and Kingdom Con in San Diego. That actually is on a whole different weekend than us that we should probably go to. Yeah, we've been, we keep flaking on it. <laughs> uh, but, no, I, I think more to what I'm saying is that the, 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 the hobbies that revolve around gaming, role-playing, miniatures, all that stuff... Are just in such a huge upswing of popularity now, mm-hmm. uh, and and as Stork was mentioning earlier before the cast, becoming more and more mainstream. Uh, <coughs> you know, I, I think that we have the population of gamers, of active gamers in Southern California, now to support uh, uh, something like uh, a Gen Con West. Not that I'm inviting them to come over and take all our business, but right. uh, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm just making the point that you know it, our numbers are swelling, uh, and that's. I think that mu- much of that is due to the fact that gaming is just becoming more mainstream and people are and more accessible and people are are showing legitimate interest in it and uh, uh, you know these minor these celebrities that are coming out as uh, closet uh, nerds <laughs> like Vin Diesel and Nathan, Nathan Fillion, Fillion yeah. and, and you know and and the other people like the whole everybody in the nerdist network and all that stuff it, it's just really starting to get a lot of momentum um, and becoming. As it's no longer this taboo thing that nobody wants to touch because you know only super nerds do it. Although super nerds do do it, because I'm a super nerd. Right. <laughs> but uh, you, 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 if you pre-gen, pre-reg, you you pay for your tickets online mm-hmm. and you can go pick them at the will call window. Good thing I didn't do that because I, I had two tickets to go see the Angry GM's live uh, uh, recording of GM Word of the Week. Um, met him, nice guy. The I didn't even pick my tickets up from Will Call because the Will Call line was huge. I'm like, I'm not, I don't stand on lines. So I just <laughs> <laughs> I'll just show up. And if I have to get the tickets, I'll go get them at a later time. And then if I you know, tweet them and find them and hand them to them if I needed it. But it wasn't a problem. But um, we bought generic tickets, which are $2 each. And I think the games in Games on Demand required two of those. Okay. So it costs 4 bucks to play a Games on oh, Demand. Oh, wow. You needed a B ticket at least. Right. <laughs> there was one game I was trying to get into that was seventh edition Call of Cthulhu because I wanted to play. I know I know it's not demonstrably different from sixth edition, right. but I wanted to play in a Call of Cthulhu game. That game was twenty bucks a seat, and by the time I went on to the thing, to, it was sold out. If you want to play Call of Cthulhu, I have several games running. Actually, Chaosium is uh, <coughs> providing prize support. Uh, oh, are they really? They're, uh, They're Chaosium. Up. They really are. Uh, actually, uh, Chaosium and Palladium. Slash, uh, uh, what, Pelagrine? No, um, the guys who make uh, Savage Worlds. Pinnacle. Pinnacle. Are actually very active now at the convention, uh, and uh, we have a lot of uh, long, some some campaigns for Rifts uh, that also have uh, Rifts prize, prize support outside of the convention prize support. Uh, we're actually getting to the point where we're drawing more industry people, which is really kind of neat. Awesome. So uh, I, I met Kevin Simbeda. Oh, cool. Because um, we're going to be starting a Dead Rain game uh, in about two weeks. Nice. So um, that's pretty deep in the in the catalog there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <coughs> the uh, next you should do Recon. I was amazed how many. <laughs> oh yeah, that's, like that's that a long game. story. <laughs> I was amazed at how large Palladium's catalog is. Yeah, I started there. They have a sick number of games. <laughs> they had a whole miniature. He had he had a pretty big booth space, and he had a whole like miniature library. With you know bookshelves, and you can walk and peruse all these bookshelves. Of course, 
of the, I don't know, there were probably five sets of shelves there. Three of them were all Riff's books, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's their, yeah. Right. But I was amazed. I had no idea that they had been, I mean, they've been around for, what, 30 years now, or maybe... For as long as I've been gaming, I know that... Uh, yeah, that was my entry point. I played yeah. Robotech in 89. Mm-hmm. The Robotech RPG? Yeah. yeah. You know, at that point in time, and that wasn't their first property. They had... Uh, Plenty role playing, which was their generic fantasy. Yeah, they like GURPS. They had already had, uh, I think, Symbidia's first book was Mechanoids. I think it was one of those, which pops up every now and then. It's been part of Riffs a couple of times now, I think. Mm-hmm. And that was one of his that he did. Recon was another one of those that I think was for somebody else that he brought in eventually. You know, they used to have the Eastman and Laird uh, TMNT slash After the Bomb mutant game. Yep, I remember having that. Beyond the Supernatural, Ninja Super Spies, Heroes Limited, which is still around. I mean, there's so much stuff in there. They just keep adding little bits here and there. You know, it may be a three or four book set. It's kind of self-contained. I mean, Balance Supernatural was three books. But just Riffs on his own. Forever. I mean, they make Back their money the out of Riffs supplements. No, yeah. yeah. There's, there's got to be over 100 Riffs books. Yeah. At least. Well, they had their own magazine for a while. Yeah, the, I the think Rifter. Still do. they still Okay, do. all right, there yeah. you go. So I was just looked it up here on the Wikipedia. It's an expansive Riffs series in 1990 to present. Palladium was founded in 1981. Yeah. Wow. The the um, I'm trying to think who uh, I, I met um, uh, Keith Baker uh, did Eberron okay yeah mm. uh, Gloom oh I love that game I, I picked up a couple copies of it oh good uh, there's another copy that I'll I'll let you look at that's basically Renaissance Fair costumes that you put transparent cards I've around. heard of that one I have that at home I'll, I'll oh wait I'll, I'll bring that, the, 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 the we were talking about no no Gloom is like uh, you're 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 telling stories you're trying to heap. Misfortune, misfortune on your own family, and yeah. you have these clear cards. That yeah, yeah that's, that's what I'm. That, yeah. I have but that. it's exactly the same system, but it's Renaissance. Fair. Yeah, they, oh, they use okay. the clear cards and like it blocks stuff out exactly, and then, so you can tell where you are and stuff like that. Um, I tried to use a game to my my in laws. That didn't go very well. <laughs> <laughs> the, the 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 space they have it in is ridiculous. It's in the convention center, which is I'm going to guess around the size of Anaheim Convention Center, okay. roughly. Uh, then there's four major big hotels across the street, and they're using all the meeting space in those halls. Might be three, but they're using. We went to one hotel and the convention center, mm-hmm. on, and then behind the convention center is Lucas Oil Field, which is a football stadium. They're using all of that too. Oh wow! Now well, that's why meeting space there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're doing about seventy-five thousand, which is likely where they capped off at, that's that's a lot of people to put into space. So. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I mean it looked cra- every every place was crowded. But, um, I mean, we made the mistake of going... We did not show up right when it opened, because... Yeah. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> but we probably got there at 10, 10.30. Went to the dealer room to see people. And, I mean, you're walking at like a tenth of a mile an hour. And you're not going to go any faster. Yeah, people try, and it just annoys you, because they start causing... Yeah. Sounds like what Comic-Con is like now. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, we went. I, I went there every day, at least once to the to that area because mm-hmm. I was kind of looking to see what unusual stuff was there. And I found that's when I found Forge World. Is that the name of the yeah Forge World? Other company that makes the the, the GW stuff. company that makes uh, basically resin cast larger kits and uh, specialized kits for Warhammer 40k okay. and the Age of Sigmar. They had they had uh, a bunch of their stuff. They also uh, horse. The horse heresy. heresy. They did a lot of stuff for that. Yeah, they did almost exclusively do the 30K, which is 10,000 years before it's 30K. That's right. the horse heresy. And right. they do pretty much exclusive. And they actually produce their own version of Warhammer that's just for 30K. Mm-hmm. Their own rule set and everything. Yep. I saw at least three dice vendors. Chessex had two booths. Oh, wow. Spread out 
strategically. So if, if you have t- trouble getting this one because you forgot to pack dice, uh, you can head over to the other one and probably avoid similar crowds. They were releasing Starfinder, which was the yep. Pathfinder, Kaizo yeah. science fiction version of Pathfinder. There was a line that was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people long the entire first day and the beginning of the second day, I think. Wow. Sometime in the, in the morning on the second day, they finally sold. We have a huge roster of that stuff running it. Uh, good. As well. awesome. Yeah, start, that, that's our big Pathfinder's big. <coughs> Adventurous thing. Leagues and Pathfinder Society are very, very big. Oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're the West Coast debut of it or so. Yeah. Right. Uh, there was also a huge line at FFG. Well, yeah, no surprise there. Especially yeah. when they announced the new Star Wars game. Well, well uh, I don't. That wasn't. Av- I don't think that was available. No, no, they, they were running demos out. of it. Oh, of okay. Legion, which is the new Star Wars miniatures game. Okay, uh, they they um, uh, had apparently. Re- I think they'd released something significant for the L five R card game. Probably they've been right. previewing that stuff for the last few months. So I, I think was, it was already. I think it's already out, but maybe they were adding. I don't know. I don't, I don't think the game is. I don't no. think the game is actually officially they've, released yet. Maybe no, I've demos. seen it probably demos because I've seen yeah, okay. uh, clan details for specific clans, how they work, and I've seen some, if not all, the rules. So I'm fairly certain they're probably doing demos for it, but I don't think it's out yet. Uh, Sergio says that the game was released. Really? Oh. I don't know. At Gen Con, probably. I don't know. Sergio, is that at Gen Con? Do you know? That would make sense. That would totally make sense. Answer. Um, but they had a huge line. I don't know what it was for, but and. They, both, both they, they and Paizo had enormous booths. Size of baseball diamond. Yeah. Well, they're the big players right now. Yeah. Right. They really are. A lot of like, it looked like local uh, game stores had booths there. Oh, really? And just had a lot of product out, a, a mix of stuff. Um, uh, like I said, uh, I didn't see a uh, Watsi booth. There was a Hasbro booth. Mm. And I couldn't get close enough to it, but I assume there was some D&D stuff in there. But Watsi itself did not have a big. That is crazy to me. Now they did have a lot of games because if you look through the 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 uh, right the program, the program there is a lot of games being run. Um, there was one room for Pathfinder Society that was uh, just a huge, huge ballroom packed, probably seventy five or eighty tables just for Pathfinder. Society. Just for role playing, a big set. So 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 role playing doesn't require you to have several small tables. So several small rooms. You know what, though? You know what? <laughs> the tables the tables are spaced a little farther apart because games on demand was all in one big room, and there yeah. were probably twenty twenty plus tables in there. Mm-hmm. It was a large it was a large hall, um, but the, I mean there was probably ten feet between tables. Yeah, and, and that that helped a lot. I mean. I, when you got that kind of space, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. That uh, it, it, the thing is, it's. I think that a lot of the people that play at our conventions have been spoiled. Oh, fact, absolutely. You know, yeah. Because there's like one or two g- games per room. Yeah, right? there's maximum of four games per room in any RPG. Right. Uh, unless you're playing Adventures League, they actually do play in a big hall. They actually play in my old space downstairs in the lower lobby. And they love it though. Yeah, but they, they love they, it. It works for right. them. They have that right. open area in front where they can muster because they, they 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 have a different way of doing things than we do. It works out much better for them, and uh, that, that was a, a great. That's the place uh, that was around the corner from the fitness center. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but you know, it, m- most conventions really just have convention style space, which is large ballrooms and yeah. halls. It wasn't a problem. It and wasn't. A, it wasn't yeah. a problem. I mean, 
It's really only a problem if there's Happy Jacks people in the room. Or they're the ones that scream and. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or demand to have ambient music. Oh my god! The game isn't I right. Didn't, I didn't hear any of that. I didn't hear any ambient. Music. Yeah, they they just don't have that. And, no. And and the fact that you can have that with with us is 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 fairly unique from what I've heard in, as far as conventions go. Um, but wow, man, I just can't believe that. You played like so little when you had the when, biggest game well, game we, convention of all time. We played um, the only other thing we played was there was a BattleTech these BattleTech pods. Mm-hmm. Some guy I guess bought these things up. They used to be in arcades or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, I, there virtual used to be one, virtual world. There used to be one down here. Yeah, yeah I mean, in Pasadena, oh, okay. Colorado. I remember playing. Well, this this guy went around and bought all of them up, and and I, he must have worked for the company that made them because he knew how to refurbish them, mm-hmm. so he could go through and repair whatever was wrong, refurbish Those were them, so and upgrade cool. them. And he probably had fifteen or sixteen of them. There. Software on that was run off Amiga four thousand. Yeah, yeah. Was it really? Yeah. So he set them all up, and everybody would just play each other in this room. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, you, you it, it cost you four tickets. Yeah. That was the first like a seven or eight. That's totally fine because you used to pay twenty five bucks. Yeah. To go oh, it's cheaper. And it would connect to the internet <laughs> back when it was still just yeah. doing the dial up and everything. Yeah, that's right. crazy. Well, now they have Micware online, which is fantastic. I mean, if you're yeah, but the, the pods were cool though. Yeah, but the the, the immersive nature yeah. of the pods were just so neat. The it, was, had, it was all around you. Yeah. And you right. had all these yep. buttons and switches and sounds around so yeah, 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 when you yeah, when you set your weapons up, the when we were doing team events, the mics. They also had uh, the that uh, sort of like slot car race. Uh, Red thing. Planet. Red Planet. Yeah, that was really. Fun. Yeah, we were mining vehicles on Mars. They had Cheech Marin as the <laughs> guy who did the introduction for it. I didn't know. Oh, I, I, I only played it a couple of times, usually with you when you kill with bolt guns, but that's here on there. Well, you know, you throw hot bolts at people, they die. Uh, but it was fun. Uh, uh, S- Saturday was the cosplayer day. A lot of cosplayers. The best thing I saw was um, um, Deadpool. Mm-hmm. Guy had a magnificent de- Deadpool costume who was cosplaying Gandalf. Oh, that's funny. That's so, so meta and so right? Deadpool. It's so great. <laughs> he's, he's got a, a fantastic Deadpool costume, and then he's got the shittiest Gandalf, like, like gray yarn beard, bought off a of Party hat. City freaking right. Gandalf, <laughs> and a, and a, a staff. It's oh, great. I couldn't get a picture of him because he was in a hurry. He was rushing yeah. somewhere. Yeah, he had to go take the mask off so he could breathe. So yeah. Well, inside it was fine. Outside, yeah, it was but he can't breathe through the thing. Plus, he has a beard on. Right. Well, it was a shit beard. Okay. <laughs> Which probably makes it worse. Right. Yeah, they're they're breathing does. through a mop. Exactly. <clears throat> it probably does. Is it mysteries at the museum bad? But uh, if anyone has any questions about what I thought of Gen Con or any specific things. Oh, one weird thing just about Indianapolis in general Lyft and Uber. Mm-hmm. Don't exist? I took. No, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, we were at an Airbnb, oh, okay. which is about three miles, maybe four miles away from the, the convention. So we, it was humid enough where it was not within walking distance. Uh, and I probably used an Uber or mostly Lyft about eleven or twelve times. Oh wow! Because uh, we were there for five days, and we would uh, let's go here. We're going to go to that bar, and anyway, get anywhere. Not expensive, comparatively. Oh, one Prius. Hmm. Almost every other car was a big car. <clears throat> well, you're close to Detroit. <laughs> that was the shocking thing. A couple SUVs, a minivan. You know, it snows back there, right? Just saying, not in August. <laughs> <laughs> no, but people aren't changing. They're not swapping oh, their cars true. out. That's yeah, true. and that's they're not true. putting chains on a Prius. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I was amazed. I mean, this, this uh, one woman pulled up in a big Chrysler LeBaron. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh wow! Yeah. But you, that I mean, that, contrast that with out here. Yeah. You almost never get a non-hybrid Lyft or Uber. Yeah, and you go to unless Colo- you specifically ask for a big car. He's right, though. You go to Colorado or even Oregon. There's a lot of Subarus with the four-wheel drive, a lot right. of trucks, and a lot right. of Jeep. Well, there's SUVs. no. Well, yeah, Colorado is also mountainous. Yeah. Yeah, climate. Yeah. <laughs> no, but there's. The, I had but somebody tell me one time in North Texas that there's nothing between them and Canada but barbed wire fences, and they're right in the middle of that. So. <laughs> but it was fun. A very beautiful city. Yeah, um, yeah. I've been there. I actually, fantastic food. No, somebody from there. Yeah. It, Chicago too. It, that actually, you'd be. People like to think of the Midwest as this cultureless, barren wasteland. No, that is nothing could be further from the truth. It is that that it. it, 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 it it is a fantastic place filled with wonderful people and wonderful things to do. That was fantastic. Are they paying you to say that? Do you seem no, more, actually, seem yeah. Like, it seems very... Uh, I, I have a lot of friends from Wisconsin and India, Indianapolis, and they really resent that stereotype, so I'm trying to... He works it. for Flyover Tour. Right. <laughs> <laughs> actually, our, two of our really best friends have moved to Chicago a few years ago. Yes, but away from Wisconsin, so that's not the selling point that you think it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the cheese, though. Well, duh. Uh, good restaurants, but you would, a big city you would expect good restaurants. We're yeah. not going to have, especially downtown near the convention center. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Oh, uh, that reminds me, uh, S. B. Lloyd. Uh, apparently, I just got a text from C. Eight uh, from Dave seventy seven. S. B. Lloyd had to get evacuated out of because he lives in the great state of Texas. Oh wow! Oh, wow. A giant hurricane coming. Yeah, yeah. So Stay our safe. thoughts are with you yeah, and our other safe. other listeners in the great state of. They America. said three feet of water. Could, yes, thirty. It's up to thirty-five inches. 30. Well, the part that, that baffles me is I, I've been I travel for work and That's I've like been India. Well, yeah, but see, I, I watched I watched the storm come on 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 or come towards shore and down by Brownsville. Well, right outside of Brownsville, up by Corpus Christi, is Lake uh, South Padre Island. Mm-hmm. South Padre Island might be three feet high in the middle of it. They're seeing a twelve-foot storm surge. Yeah, Oof. yeah. <laughs> Are there people on that island? Is there like a? Uh, it's well, I, I assume not right now. No, that's not what I meant. But but I don't know because it's not. I mean, it's connected to the land. There's a bridge. It's just a giant party spot. Yeah. It's mostly wow. restaurants and hotels. Wow, and yeah, I don't expect so them there's to be there. Yeah, yeah, that's the, yeah, that's. I don't yeah. think we'll be there much longer. But I, I had to fly there for work a long time ago in the Corpus Christi. Um, which was a couple, like an hour and a half or so from the uh, uh, Navy Air Base, which is where we were testing something. And uh, the just a rainstorm came in, and there was a uh, near my hotel. There was a, a road that went out, and I don't even I don't even know what it's called. But there's like a bunch of small islands, and there's like a not bridges. They're like built up from. The, the little dirt mounds that go up, like, yeah, a, like a berm, like a berm. There's a specific name for it, I okay. think. But it's got a road on it, and you can ride basically from island to island. And these are islands where there's not even any place to pull over. The island is probably like 30 feet in diameter. Right. But at the very end, there's like a fishing store and a restaurant and stuff. And I wanted to go out and see it. And I'm driving out there, and this rainstorm's coming in, and the water, the water from the rainstorm. This is not. A, this is. I was watching, listening to the news. This is not a hurricane or anything that's coming in. Water from the Storm is like washing over the road as I'm driving on it. I'm like, I'm turning my ass around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm done. I don't even like to fish. Screw this. <clears throat> no, no, that rain in Texas is no fooling, man. That's, I no. mean, yeah. Texas is the only place, and I've traveled all over, where I've had to literally pull over because I can't see because it's raining so hard. Wow. And it's like, well, let's just sit here and hope I don't get run into. It's crazy. 
All right. So our thoughts are with you. Yeah. Superheroic conflict from Clockwork Monk. Do one of you guys want to read the first email? Uh, sure, I'll read it. Uh, this is superhero conflict from Clockwork Monk, Dear Stu, and the Friday Night Douche Crew. It's Clockwork Monk from New York. I'm writing almost immediately after my most recent game wrapped up because I'm pretty excited and would love your advice on something. Uh, I'm running a superhero campaign using Fate Core with uh, Venture City Supplement, which my group is enjoying quite immensely. I've found, however, that characters in superhero games are really powerful. What do you think? Uh, in my first session, I didn't realize how powerful they would be, so they steamrolled over the opposition with no problem. Two of my players are practically physically invulnerable, and another is inst- can instantly take out the opposition in a single blow. One punch man. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> what I realized was that I need to take a page from the best uh, superhero comics, movies, and shows and find a way to challenge the heroes in different ways. We know they'll never die, or if they do, they'll, they'll never stay dead. So how do, you ch- how do you challenge them instead? By making superheroism part of the conflict. I don't think I can ever run combats in the same way again, even in non-superhero games. Before, I used to run it uh, as putting characters in a mostly featureless area where they had to pummel each other uh, until one side gave up. Uh, maybe there were, maybe there was interesting terrain or hidden dangers they had to deal with, but mostly combat was a standard affair of just get past. Now I realized uh, the virtues of putting an ever-evolving, uh, putting in ever-evolving situations and ever-shifting goals. Uh, in the latest session, my superheroes could have just spent the, the cinematic fight wa- uh, wailing away through an army of goons until they reached the boss at the end. Yawn. Instead, they're, they're on a moving train with hostages. However, they discovered that before they could rescue them, they had to defuse a bomb with a dead man switch hidden amongst the hostages. But when, the, when they finally defused it, they discovered an oncoming train about to collide with them. Meanwhile, the bad guys shot at them and made uh, being a superhero really, really difficult, especially since one of the heroes realized they had a personal connection to one of the goons shooting at him. Oh, yeah, that's excellent. That's really good. It no longer mattered that I had physically invulnerable characters at the table. They still had to deal with saving innocent people using a, 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 using other the non-combat skills that they had while in the middle of a stressful combat situation. So I'm writing you to ask for more advice. I'm afraid I might be limited uh, by my own imagination and regurgitate the same scenarios. Hostage crisis, bomb, public transportation, rinse, repeat. Do you have any tips for, and tricks for coming up with interesting challenges or having uh, fresh and unique conflicts? Thanks, and take a drink. You deserve it. Douchely yours, Clockwork Monk. P.S. Since the last time I wrote in, I've uh, become a cocktail enthusiast. Do, you, uh, do any of you have a cocktail you particularly like? I'd love to try it. Uh, I used to just drink Rusty Nails. Just because the name is always so. You just want to feel manly. Yeah, Bad that's not really a cocktail, hands. is it? What's a rusty nail? It's like I don't know, seven kinds of rum and something with coloring in it. Yeah. Yeah, in a, in a dirty glass. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a beer wine guy. It might be drambuie. It might be rum and drambuie. It's a lot of sweet. Blind Russian is always good. Blind Russian's good. Pisco sour, which is my nation's national drink, which is uh, basically the uh, the the grape. Uh, the final press of grapes to make a hard liquor. It's kind of like vermouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's mixed with lime, a little bit of sugar, and an egg white. Um, and it's the national cocktail of Peru. And is, it, <coughs> is it whipped or something? It's stirred and whipped. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, it's actually really, really What's tasty. What's it called? 
Pisco, uh, P-I-S-C-O, sour, which is the lime part is the sour part. Right? So Pisco is the name of... Is the name of the liqueur okay. that it's based off of, uh, which is, like I said, like vermouth. And that sounds, is that especially there? Can you get it most reputable places? Most, re- uh, most reputable places that have any type of uh, connection to, to, to Latin America, oh, most okay. likely. Uh, but, uh, I mean... Uh, if you have a fairly cosmopolitan bar that you go to, they might know what it is. Uh, but uh, there's plenty of things online uh, letting you know how to make that kind of stuff. And uh, there are, uh, and you can just go to Amazon and buy pisco. Uh, but or just do it with vermouth. I've done that before. It's not bad. Cool. All right. Thank you for the email. Oh wait, he had a gaming question. He had a gaming question. <laughs> he just focused on the liquor. So other 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 new, tropes. New podcast idea. <laughs> other tropes for in, invulnerable at uh, inv- invulnerable PCs that will. Create problems. Someone on the someone on the phone. Who was that? Someone threw out um, collateral damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having to deal with that. I remember, well, it. first of unlike all, Superman, who <laughs> apparently didn't have to deal with any kind of stuff. none of that. <laughs> well, first of all, I think you're on the right track because you're Absolutely. already very aware of the fact that you might be tripping over yourself, right? But you've discovered a new shiny, which I think is is really great. And this is because you're right. This is what superheroes. I'm I'm, I'm reminded of oh, spoilers. The, the latest Spider-Man. No, it was in the trailers where he's holding the fairy together. Oh, right? yeah. So, so again, collateral damage. It's not quite a hostage situation, but there's innocent bystanders. Or Batman, where he needed to be two places at once to save both the people he wanted to save, and he just had to make that right? choice. Or the Avengers, even, where they have to clear people out of the way because there's a, an invasion force coming down on their heads. Well, and so the entire city is being elevated into the sky. Well, and Captain America's going, I'm not going anywhere until right. everybody's off this thing. And you're like, okay, Mr. Conviction. And I don't know what kind of superhero game you're playing, but the, what I used to do when we played Champions was that uh, I took a took a page from the old Marvel comics and Stan Lee and, and had their their uh, secret identities almost more interesting than their superhero stuff. Right. So if so, uh, well, I remember one of them was a radio DJ and then you know like his uh, they they had like a bomb scare come into the thing but he was online right so we couldn't change well, him to superhero self. Speaking so, of Spider-Man, all too. of these things. Yeah, I mean uh, Spider-Man. One of the major conflicts in in the Spider-Man books is Peter Parker trying to be Peter Parker while exactly. also trying to be Spider-Man. Exactly. The the whole dual dual nature of your identity is actually just a mine for you to just dig things into. Uh, I remember playing in a in a heroes game where uh, the the real life drama of the character that I was playing actually completely mirrored the superhero drama, but in a, in a much step down sort of mm-hmm. way. So in the end, when I, when my when my mortal version of my character resolved his issue, the way that he resolved that issue was actually the way that. In, that inspired me to resolve my superhero issue uh, in, in, in a different way because of the same type of problem solving. Uh, I find that when, when you distill these type of things to, to their base core, what you're really trying to do is, is, is produce drama and conflict. And not all drama and conflict needs to revolve around combat. Uh, and if you just basically sit down and say, what kind of conflict do I want to set up? What kind of dramatic scene do I want to do? I want to have these characters go through instead of going. How do I set up a fight? Who's the bad guy? What's the antagonist? Actually, sort of zoom out and, and fake, fake <coughs> core is fantastic about this because of the fractal that you can just zoom in and out of the scale and think of things in a broader sense. And then, sort of, once you have a bigger picture of what exactly the kind of conflict you want to have, you can actually put in the nuts and bolts of it and, and not just think of creating scenarios like uh, you know most D&D games are just I'm actually just what's the challenge rating I'm creating a scenario I'm building a tactical uh, situation for my for my characters to overcome there are a lot of ways to do puzzles 
in a, in a game in a lot of ways that superpo- superpowers just will not help you. Well, and that's that's where I was was going to say next, which is there's a difference between hamstringing your superhero, you know, you know, having kryptonite so you depower your superhero, and there's another thing where despite the fact that they have all these superpowers, they're having a hard time solving a problem. Whether that's trying to get a you know a, a, the ferry held together after after it got blown apart, or whether it's uh, trying to save a, a kid from a from a twenty story burning building and you can't fly, or whatever that is, those are much more interesting than just standing in the hail of bullets saying, exactly. "Everybody, take cover! I'll handle this." Or you're in the middle of a situation and all kinds of shits going down. You don't have your superhero costume or right. any way to change into your alter ego, so you have to without being out observed, way, yeah, to figure out a way to resolve the problem without being observed. It's it, that that's a common trope in comic books. It, it is. <clears throat> and uh, like I remember, I uh, had a Champions game, and they just uh, all right, you're GMing today, and I'm like, okay. So they came up with characters. I didn't have any puzzle, I didn't have any villains. So I focused on their backstories. I don't think they even became. They still had superpowers because you know they're they're just dressed up as normal people. But they they kept. It was inconvenient to change. They couldn't, and so I I, I managed to just play it all in the real world at the time, and they have more fun with that. Absolutely. I, I, People want to ex- explore their own creation, sure. and, that's, and as a GM, it's kind of like your responsibility to take whatever they've created in a character and allow and put them in situations where they can actually flesh out and live in that skin. Uh, and I think the more talented GMs really help char- players develop characters in game, and that's actually I find a lot more entertaining than simply tackling a, a, a puzzle or a boss or anything like that. Uh, you know, I, uh, some of my favorite sessions are just really s- just straight up RP sessions where pe- where you're put in situations where you have to interact with NPCs and other players in interesting ways. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I'll, 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 another really great example is taking something that's completely non superhero related, like a, a different type of story trope or or storyline, <coughs> and basically making it into a superhero and story it over. and transplant it over. Yeah. It really adds to a whole lot of freshness of things because you know what what if your superheroes are stuck. In on a ship off the coast of Somalia, and, and pirates attack, but they're mutant pirates and have powers. So you're basically pirates of the Caribbean meet superheroes in the modern world. There's a lot of different things that you can just transplant different themes into other things, just switch things up and not make it just a superhero. Uh, you can take story. the whole plot of Tombstone and turn exactly. that into you know modern times, where the rival superhero group, other superhero group across town, mm-hmm. is just uh, pissed off that you're or whatever it is. You, you, yeah, you can easily borrow those tropes, and I. I think that th- that stuff is infinitely more interesting than when you finally get down to Doctor Doom standing in his hallway and you know, like you said, wave after wave of goons comes at you. A nice monologue you fight him. And not to say that it isn't fun now and again, but if that's yeah. all you get all the time, not so much. You could also, I mean, there, there's also the scenarios where you could start to deal with government intervention. Or oh, maybe sure. There's a there's a there's an anti supers bill coming up, and you start suddenly <coughs> start to have, have to worry about. Your public image right. and your public relations efforts, and you know how you handle certain situations because people are surrounding you with cell phones, taking pictures of whatever but, it is you're doing. But again, as superheroes, you still want to be superheroic. Uh, as a GM, be careful about throwing too many hamstrings into your your superheroes. You know, dude. Well, for example, it, be, it seems like fun, but after a while, they're like, you know, great. Now, you know, every time I pop my claws, I'm going to get shot at or whatever it is. Right. There's. I have a rule when I GM is that I'll never have two scenes back to back that will frustrate my players. Mm. Yeah, 
because after, during or after the second one, they're going to start making poor decisions and derailing your game because mm -hmm. they're frustrated. Mm -hmm. So you know, it, it's okay to take things away and, and to and and to really, for dramatic effect, make something frustrating for the characters. But you can't do that in too much of a chain because then the characters will sort of like give up on the narrative and just start doing wacky crap just to entertain themselves because they feel frustrated they can't mm -hmm. move the plot along. Mm -hmm. right. uh, which is something that happened to me very recently in the D&D &D game I'm playing and, and I'm like, don't do two of those back to back. It's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it, it's not a question of frustrating your players or foiling your players. Right. right? And, and I think that uh, a really bad attitude to have as a GM is, saying, is, is the attitude of I'm there their uh, confrontation. Their confrontation. Yeah. I'm not going to be confrontational with players. It's not really your role. Uh, your role is to uh, is to create a framework for them to develop their characters and to tell a story. So you know, if if you're writing adventures that are basically all about setting up a situation for them to combat, and you're going to set yourself in a role of basically the antagonist as in and of yourself. And you want to sort of avoid that kind of attitude. And uh, there are a lot of different ways to make things more interesting that don't involve direct confrontation. I mean, the, for the superhero thing, take it, uh, for instance, an entire session where the players actually become aware of what their public image actually is. Mm -hmm. They actually talk to some people. There, there's a media blitz about <clears> something. And they actually start to become aware that collateral damage and all these things that they've been doing because they've been doing wacky stuff is making them very unpopular. And there's another group of superheroes that basically think, no, those guys aren't superheroes. They're super villains. They're, they're not uh, even right. being considered responsible for all the damage and all the destruction that they do. Or just simply coming across as somebody that you think you've helped that whose life you've actually ruined. You know, It's like... Uh, uh, you, you break into the, the museum and you stop them from stealing this pr ar priceless artifact that ha is magical and will do something, raise zombies or whatever it's going to do, but you destroyed this exhibit that this one guy <laughs> paleontologist has been working on for 10 years and there's no going back from it because it's completely shattered. You completely destroyed this guy's life. And uh, becoming aware of that and going, oh, maybe I should think better about things that I'm doing uh, and uh, the after effects of what you do. Consequences are, are, are already exist and a lot of times people don't uh, really pick up on those yeah. consequences because they don't have the right point of view. So shifting the camera sometimes will completely give you a, a great opportunity to switch up the type of drama and actually have the players look at their characters from the outside in instead of from the inside there out. There used That's to be a comic called, I think it was called Collateral Damage, and it was about this team of people that went and cleaned up after the superheroes. In fact, they, <coughs> in the new Spider-Man movie, they touch on that. Yeah. But it's a, uh, it, was always, it was kind of an interesting thing, but kind of a bummer, because, you know, when the Hulk punches somebody through the wall, you kind of just dig that. That's really cool, and you move on. And then to see these people have somebody who's going to fix that now. You know, there's a church or, company. Or, you know, there was a, a family having dinner in the right. next room. <laughs> Exactly. All right. Thank uh, you very much, Clockwork Monk, for the email. I'll read the next one because this is uh, <coughs> some mail for the grinder from Zaras. Zaras in Poland. Zaras. Zaras. I'm, I'm assuming Zaras. Hello, almighty oh war bosses and noobs of WOG. WOG! Gotta say it right. WOG! <laughs> See, I was thinking it was like, like OG, like the castle OG. You wouldn't just say OG. That is the battle cry of the orcs in Warhammer 40k. Okay, oh. all right. Uh, uh, Char is here from, uh, from Poland, writing in after a long break. I would like to start with some praises. <clears throat> Your new segment, Primetime, is another glorious treat. Oh, it's been discontinued. Sorry. Primetime was our miniature painting show. Yes, and it's gone now. Oh, bummer. <laughs> I had uh, fun doing it. 
it the, the numbers just never they just went and never went mm. uh, and then the catching banner and helpful tips actually made me dig up my old horde and paint orcs and dark angels for my warhammer 40k collection also your APs are splendid as always both the well liked and seasoned moat of sin prince adrian will be sorely missed that's a spoiler for those of you who aren't, who aren't caught up <laughs> like by two or three episodes uh, and lighthearted justice heroes and the brand new Bloodblade and Tusk, of course, the podcast, aren't entertaining as ever. Okay, having done that, let me bring it back to my point from Season 1, Episode 4. Nah, just kidding. Good, because I don't remember Season 1, Episode 4. I don't think we did a first season. Uh, actually, this may be a bit long. You were right. Uh, I feel like I'm going to be a bit gibbish on you, but I hope the number of points brought up will be in digestible chunks. Anyway, have a drink, especially... You who have the dubious pleasure of reading this. <laughs> Brace yourself. Point one. Let's go to a subject that was inspired by the events of Motive Sin. <clears throat> How do you deal with a player death? Or more precisely, player death. Oh, because of the vampire. Uh, this uh, not brought about by Kimmy's character's death. But two thumbs up for the class. Dignity, she, she, uh, as she dealt with the loss, I'm certain all of the Motusin fans will long remember the Zarika, Zarika mm-hmm. of the Moat. As uh, some may have picked up by now, uh, but Tim's absence from the game because of various factors. Uh, how do you feel, how do you deal with well-established characters that are important to the plot and the story when the player suddenly is forced to move, quit, the game dies? How do you propose to deal with all the plot holes, loose ends, and plans in motion that this creates? you want to talk about that a little bit first? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. That's okay. a great question, actually. Um, with players leaving, well, what we did in the Mode of Sin game, Tim just couldn't... But we had our hiatus for Fair, and then when Fair was over and we started playing again, he just couldn't couldn't make it anymore. He couldn't commit. He did, he did the adult thing, which is... He basically said, I, I, I can't commit. I have these other things. And he... They took precedence yeah, as, they, as much as he loved mode. Yeah, and he yeah, but he, he let us know he he had family things that he would have to do every day during the time that we're gonna, we right. would be running the game. So what we did is right when we ended was the party was headed off to go to Pornvale to knock down <clears throat> the castle Pornvale, and um, <laughs> that's what they called it. I, I had another name for it once. I can't remember what it was, but they kept calling it that, so I just called it that. Well. It wasn't as good as Pornvale. It's I not as good as Pornvale. <laughs> And uh, that's where we ended the session was they were rushing off to go attack this place. So in that next session, I had an opportunity because Gully Wallace, who was the Nosferatu Tim played, who's no longer in the game, would be going through the sewers to go and set explosives and stuff underneath the, the, the castle while everyone else was on the surface going to surround the place. Mop up survivors. Uh, so he was separated from the party, and basically they just don't know what happened to him. Uh, we left it completely open. Uh, if Tim s- scheduled changes in such a way that he can come back to the game, he could come back. Maybe he was, you know, seriously injured and it took him a while to get back. He's to in the torpor, health, or he was in, he in to be buried and in torpor, or he maybe he just checked it, decided to leave for whatever. Maybe he he's like, oh, damn it! I heard Adrian died in Riley's Prince. Shit. Yeah, or whatever. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> so there's all these opportunities for him to come back, no matter how, however, if right. he wants to. Screw right. you guys. But nobody was found, and so who knows? Now, if you have a a character loss, that's something you always have to deal with in a game. I mean, 
if, if a character dies, I, our first couple sessions were about the ramifications of Prince Adrian having been killed. And now it's Prince Riley, and she's trying to figure out what to do, and she's finding out about all kinds of stuff that she didn't really know the whole story on, mm-hmm. because Adrian kind of kept some of that stuff close to the vest. But a lot of the, not all of them, but a lot of the next like two sessions was her dealing with the shockwave of that character death, and you know, asserting her authority here and, you know, making sure things are working the way they're supposed to over there and organizing things so she can keep control and all that stuff. But I also like, I wasn't a fan of it at first. I, did, I don't think I quite understood it, but I also like what you do when somebody just can't make a session, which is you just don't, that character just, for you don't have to come up with a whole reason. You just, just they're just not there. They're just not there. What? Yep. What? Yeah, what are you talking about? So even though like <coughs> you're about ready to start a fight, you know, I couldn't make the next session, that just wasn't there. They, wasn't there. they fought without me. What are you talking about? And, and it, part of your brain, wants to, brain. wants to write a story about right. why that character isn't there, but the other part is just like, it doesn't really matter. It really doesn't matter, and it, 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 it doesn't harm the game. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you also have to keep it in account. You want to spend energy on things that actually have an effect on things overall. Right. If If... if if you're just trying to make up a story because somebody can't show up one day and they can easily just not be there, there's really no reason to spend energy on that. Although I do enjoy people coming up with little uh, little side stories about things during their absences. Uh, what I often do when, when I run a, a game is I hand everybody one of those little composition books mm-hmm. that I get the 99 cent store. Oh, yeah. Go, this is for you. Just put your character name on it. Whenever you want to feel like writing something or, or put, jotting something down, just jot it on there. And uh, if they don't make a session, they're free to write down a little story of why they didn't make it and set aside and share it with the rest of the group. Uh, I, I think that get, putting that responsibility onto the player adds agency, allows them to develop things for their character in the background. And not only that, as a GM, gives you some really nice little plot hooks mm. if, they, if they write it cleverly because whatever happened in that situation, you can come up with a great idea of in, interweaving that into oh, they, plot. They, they might they might end up creating some NPCs for you and some story elements and some locations Absolutely. and stuff that you haven't even worked on yet. If you're not relying on your player's creativity, you're, you're losing out. It's also a great insight to the player's mind because sometimes you know, as a GM you're shocked about what they're seeing as opposed to what you're trying to tell them. You're like, oh my, maybe I'm not being uh, obvious enough with my clues or oops or wow they've got a completely different idea and this is better than what I had I'm going with that. It's similar to the superhero idea. I had yeah. no idea everybody considered me a villain. Uh, right. you know, <coughs> yeah it, it's when when you give your players an opportunity to, st- to tell part of their own story it's helpful for everybody and, and, and it's only a plus. There's I can't think of a single downside of it, especially if it's an, like a little aside where they're just writing something down. None of the other players are involved. It's just you and, and the GM, uh, you, the player and the GM, basically having a conversation about what something happened. But you don't require it or anything either. I don't require it, but you know it's, it's certainly encouraging. I, I will definitely throw people some extra XP or some bennies for doing something like that. Because heck, man, if you're working to make my job easier, here's some bennies. Sure, I'm, I'm all about it. Right, absolutely. Um, but dealing with character death, I think one of the major things you have to consider is do you play in a game where characters die? I, I know a lot of games where you know people will will reinvent the wheel. They'll do anything and everything to stop character death because mm-hmm. uh, they just don't want to deal with it. You know, mortality being what it is, you don't want to face it at all. Mm-hmm, uh, right. But uh, I, I said it in a, in a previous podcast at Con actually, and I'm saying, <coughs> and, and I say this with absolute conviction, if 
<coughs> you don't deal with player character death or just avoid it and never have it as part of your narrative. You are basically shutting off a major part of life and the way that it, it's represented in your role playing game. It also Everybody it dies. takes away any danger and sense of 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 what's the word I'm for danger, I guess. But, <laughs> you know, there, nothing has value unless. Uh, unless there's a sense of loss, it's truly perilous. Risk, yeah, risk, yeah. risk. Uh, you know, it, 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 it. You know, one, one can actually say is, you know, death is there to remind you how precious life is. And when you when you <coughs> never deal with the fact that somebody might just meet their end at whatever thing that you're doing, it it, uh, it we, really we, lessens the impact of uh, victory. And we have discussed this before. I mean, there's many ways a character can die. Sometimes it's GM oversight. Sometimes it's player stupidity. But sometimes it, you feel, you know, like. But but if it, everything's above board and, every, and it's a legitimate critical role or whatever it mm-hmm. is, and everybody sees it, it's like, wow, okay. Yeah. That's. But it's still tough to handle. And as a side note, like when a character dies, I kind of feel like if my character dies, I need to get up and leave, because what happens after that, I wouldn't know about. Second of all, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, watch them play a game. You sort of feel like you need to go somewhere else and maybe re- come up with a new character. Right. Right. I, I mean. Uh, do you feel, and I'm just going to ask the question to the to the table all the way around, that if a player character dies, that 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 life that death should have some kind of significant meaning in the narrative, or is it okay to just have? Sorry, he's just dead. It's it's completely meaningless, meaningless, and it and it has absolutely no real ramifications on 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 who they were, or what they're doing, but they're just dead. And that's th- just it. I think it depends on. <clears throat> on what kind of setting you've got? Yeah, I think it's more just the context. Yeah, yeah it could context. be as well. I mean, that's I mean, we we the when I think of player death, the first one that comes to my mind is from a Five Rings game, uh, where there was two brothers and a half brother, and they were like the core of the group. And in the middle of this fight, we all it was actually an ambush. We all expected to live, but no, the half brother gets outright murdered. It was Straight one of those up. ridiculous die rolls where it was like, oh my god, holy shit, Al, you're dead, and then. You know, and most people don't care. He's a guy. You know, to them, to the other side, to most people on our side, he's just a guy. But to three players in that group, it's like, you know, that was that was my brother. Now all of a sudden, it's right. revenge time. Sure. You know, I start blowing through my honor because it's like, nope, I'm not losing two brothers today. Thank you very much. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I mean, if you were like in a Shadowrun game and they put together a team, yeah, you guys should have paid more attention. But, but yeah, it's even then, though, if it's a long-standing team, sure. I mean, because that's that that was. About the the missing player thing, I, I ran a shadow run game that had 13, 14 players. Yeah, in it, I think. too big. <laughs> Not it's way too big. Rarely at the same Jeez. time. Usually eight hour combat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or sixty eight hour planning period. <laughs> one hour. Combat. Oh no, no that that game was almost entirely just off the cuff. <laughs> but what happened was is what it, what, it, what it gave me was a player base. It was hey guys, we're playing shadow run. Who can make it? Five of you. Great. You guys get the call. And certain people had bonds with other people in the group. Oh, okay. Other people actively disliked other people. Right. We had one guy, my brother-in-law, who, who, who spent the entire time trying to sell the team out. Actually, as a sidebar, that is a really great way for adults to play role-playing games. Yeah. Like, it, because I originally did it with my Conan the Barbarian game, where everybody made a character. And they made a character at every level, 1 through 20. So I would write an adventure, and each of her adventure was a short story, like an Ari e. Howard story. It was, had a beginning and an end. Uh, and and I go, this is a 16th level story because I want them to face this. There's your character at 16th level. Their, their entire lifespans 
were actually covered within with their characters, and they had notes at every epoch of their time period. That's awesome. And you could, and, and like like the Ari e. Howard stories were, where you started the first story was Conan as a king, and then the third story was him as a, a young thief. They bounced all over yeah, time. Yeah, they weren't. Yeah, it they weren't chronological. It, they weren't necessarily chronological. They were just adventurers in this world that every once in a while, a certain number of them would meet. Do a thing and mm-hmm. then sp- s- go their separate ways. Roy Thomas was very underrated for him organizing that and getting that timeline together. Roy Thomas did the comic yeah. book, and and he, he's really underrated for having assembled all of that and worked out the timeline and filled in the blanks too. It, it, it's actually you can there, there there are people that actually make a career of studying uh, that kind of stuff. And as a matter of fact, the new Modiphius Conan hired a bunch of those people to actually help write it, and the whole game is completely based just on Ari Howard's work, and the art is. Frazetta, fantastic! It's just a beautiful. It's Val Merrick, I think. Yeah. Who is a, used to draw the comics back in the day. Uh, but uh, that I'm sorry, I diverged from the, yeah, the actual too. point there. Point <laughs> two. Getting geek all over the place. Yeah. What do you think about the mirror universes? By that I mean the alternate alternative realities that are reverse of the status quo, like the mirror darkly universe from Star Trek. But not limiting to just that sort of blatant reversal. An intriguing version of this was the theory proposed on your podcast, that Star Trek is actually much darker. This was my theory. Star Trek is actually much darker, with the Federation being a version of a uber-meritocracy Starfleet-oriented regime. In my case, the whole idea was you never see any enlisted men in Star Trek. Or very rarely. Yeah, You'll see like one. A yeoman, <laughs> like right? One, <laughs> but for the most part, you don't see the enlistment. Yeah. You don't see the guys that work on the phaser banks, or the guys mopping the floors. You know, or the, the, the janitorial staff. Oh, please! There's red-shirted Roombas everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but I uh, actually, I always assumed that at their level of technology, most mundane and menial tasks were automated. You know, in the original, though, there Maybe. were there were guys. But there's no enlisted men. There were guys like, in like jumpsuits that with clipboards and stuff that were walking right, around. Right, th- that's the that thing. I mean, the original is literally Starfleet a bunch of officers <laughs> and no enlisted men. You start at ensign and up, and that's it. Yeah, I, well, no, because chief, chief, yeah, chief well, Ryan. Well, chief is a is that's a chief petty officer. Chief that's non-commissioned. Yeah, non, but it's still <laughs> no. It's an NCO. Yeah, exactly. He's the one thing that like senior, he's the one senior enlisted. Though. Senior enlisted. He's the one point where all the shit flows downhill to. Exactly. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> for that guy. You, you have nobody under you to blame for shit. Right. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah. Star Trek. You, you make up words. You start stringing random words together. Right. Just word stupid. <laughs> oh, it's the quantum flux thing. That it's the janitorial capacitor quantum. <laughs> Reflex engine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, that's a damn good point. <laughs> and so I was like, maybe there's like, maybe there's like a caste system that we never see in Star Trek. Maybe there's other people who are like, no, you quite don't make the grade to go to the academy. We can find you work though. You know what? That's the. <laughs> there's a lot to be said for making hippie shit sinister. I, I, I think that's actually really cool. You know, no, everybody must be equal. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, Star Trek actually was struck In my case, uh, this was brought about by quite an unlikely source, uh, mainly the TFS Dragon Ball abridged parody. Uh, mainly a scene where some of the main characters are discussing that a dog being on uh, being a world president is really progressive. 
<laughs> this along with the depictions of Dr. Briefs, one of the richest people on Earth and whose daughter is married to the second strongest mortal in the universe, depicted by an old school American right-winger, made some something click in my head. What if the story in Dragon Ball isn't the true story, but the history written by those that control the present? With a council of the richest, most influential actually ruling, with a puppet dog president, <laughs> with the notorious Red Ribbon Army, an actual group of freedom fighters, uh, just like in Eskov's The Last Ring Bearer, where the story of the Lord of the Rings is, is a propaganda of the victors that dehumanizes the beaten and depicting them as monsters. Anyway, what do you think about those alternative depictions, both al- alternative realities and shifted views on established worlds? Is there a, a dark mirror in which you would like to play run a game in? Wow, that's, that's a really good question. <laughs> yeah, I have to say though that is something I, I've stolen stolen for plots. Is I'll take a, a thing and turn it on its ear all the time. So I mean, you, you, I guess I've been doing a dark mirror for my plot hooks most of the time anyway. How about a utopia paranoia? <laughs> Where it really is awesome. It really, yeah, it really awesome. is awesome. But but you just can't handle it. You have to. Be the one, you, you and your group people just can't just can't dig. You're it. the one dude in the matrix to go. This is too perfect. I can't take it. <laughs> actually, that's a good thing too. Doing like the first version of the matrix mm-hmm. that was too perfect. Oh, that'd be kind of cool. Oh yeah, that and actually awesome. role play people discovering it. That that actually would be kind of awesome too. Uh, be just playing in the matrix would just be awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's like playing in the holodeck. I, I remember my dad being amazed by the idea of the holodeck. Going, you can tell any story you want. That is the perfect point framework. You can do anything you want. I'm like, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Well, that's where all the enlisted guys are. They ain't getting anywhere. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's just yeah. mopping the jizz. Like, oh. <laughs> they, only, they only very rarely touch on what most holodecks are actually used for. That was what, what's his name? Uh, what's the name of that character? Uh, well, they had to have someone with problems. Oh, the, the, basically the guy that was played by the guy played uh, Murdoch from, uh, from Murdoch. A-Team. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I can't remember the character's name, but he was like really awkward Blake, and socially. Blake or, uh, he was really socially awkward, but yes. turned into a, like this badass in the holodeck. In the holodeck, yeah. In the fantasy world. But, dude, uh, oh, you do like a Westworld version of holodeck characters. Like they, 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 their programs still exist and interact with each other inside some sort of memory bank afterwards. It's, yeah, you know what they did to me. When <laughs> you can always do a uh, rec- you can always do a Wreck-It Ralph with get, uh, with uh, characters that were appeared in the holodeck throughout your entire Star Trek campaign. <laughs> uh, and and basically, they're just a bunch of Barclay, yeah, Barclay or Tron. They're just Tron. Yeah. Right. Wouldn't it be fun to have Terminator where they actually just, they, there's a bunch <coughs> of Terminators that are going out and helping people and they want to make sure that they do everything for you. So people end up rebelling because they just need something to do and they're tired of being taken care of. And then you go into Wally. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's anarchist Wally. <laughs> uh, but the, the, one of the greatest things you can do as a storyteller is tell a story that surprises somebody. Uh, and and really, those kind of reactions are the things that you want to elicit from your players because that those are the things that that uh, sort of activate the salivary glands of creativity when you're when you're uh, exposed to something that's radically different than your regular way of thinking or, or what you think that was going to happen. Those are the things that really get your creativity into overdrive. So yeah, al- creating alternate realities, even it doesn't even have to go as far as creating an alternate reality. Like I mentioned in the superhero uh, thing, just sort of tipping it over where 
they find out the opinions of other people about them that they don't know. Uncovering things from a different point of view can be just as uh, as, rele- uh, as much of a relevation, uh, revelation as uh, dipping into a completely different kind of reality. Uh, because, you know, generally all of us are co- comprised of our own senses, and the only input that we can get is from those senses. So our point of view is very limited when you start... Uh, looking at things from different angles and forcing characters to look at things from different angles those that can be just as uh, just as impactful as setting putting taking a bunch of uh, you know taking the scooby-doo gang and putting them in a Cthulhu mystery or whatever you you want to do as far as as changing the trope or tipping things on their ear all right as a point the three on a lighter note what are the, what is the dumbest most callous irresponsible thing you did when playing oh god <laughs> this is a question for each and every member of the podcast. On my part, on my part, uh, it was playing a Vampire the Masquerade, uh, Masquerade game on my very first session ever. When flying to South America for some high priority mission um, from the Camarilla, one of the team members got high on blood laced with cocaine and tore the pilot to shreds. After some after some tense moments, we ended with my character barely managing to keep the plane in the air. Uh, with finally having to land in sight, having land in sight and no real chances of landing the plane, one of my coterie members grabbed a parachute and jumped out. Latching onto the idea, I said, hold the steers, which I assume means hold the stick, right. uh, to <coughs> Mordor, uh, hold, hold the steers to Mordor, a brouhaha from my group played by a chap we called Gibson, and why is hard to explain, but it was the result of him always having some limb in a cap. <laughs> I don't get that reference. Neither uh, d- d- do I. <laughs> poor guy always has a limb in a cap. Sounds right. like one of my friend's daughters. Uh, then actively uh, activate celerity, rip, ripped out of the controls and threw them to him and ran for the emergency door. The dumbstruck Bruja crashed with a pale but survived with the p- the pale but sur- with the plane probably but survived. But held a grudge. This uh, this in time resulted in both our havens torched, multiple violations of Elysium, and a private war that threatened to tear the masquerade in our city to shreds. This all happened with no bad blood between the players, and we played sabbat priests and pack leaders holding each other back. Sometimes late, uh, sometime later, with no baggage from that situation. <coughs> That's me. What are your spectacular blunders? Hmm. Despite the previous bluster. Seems to not be jib long, probably for the best. Still take a drink. Until next time, you glorious douches, with all the best regards, Zaris. So, you have a horrible, dumb, stupid thing that you did that you regret. My friend Ron was running a Vampire of the Dark Ages. It's always in Vampire. It's always going to be in Vampire. No, no, there's some cyberpunk things that I think. But this is, I think, the most egregious because. Well, the whole concept of the game was that uh, Ron was going to run two different parties, and each party actually worked for a different uh, powerful group within within the plot. Uh, I, I think one of them worked for a Zemis, and the other one worked for a... a uh, what are the, the magic-y guys? Uh, there's... Um, no, and it's the flesh-crafty guys are magic Yeah, Tremere. Yeah. Um, and so what ended up having is... Uh, Three of us go into the Zemis lair, and he's about to hire us to do this thing. And the other party is going to be hired by the other group, and there was going to be a climactic meeting at the end. That was the whole concept of the game. 
So we walk in, we're talking to the guy, and playing a game Grell, uh, which are very feral kind of vampires. There was a thing about my ca- they're assholes. They're assholes. <laughs> I'm thinking about my character that basically he'll go into a frenzy if shit happens, right? And uh, of but course, the guy we were meeting was very haughty and said something to the character that that was unpleasant. And Ron goes, uh, "That was kind of you. You really don't like that. So make why don't you go ahead and make a, a willpower <coughs> test or whatever check, the, yep. the check was, right? <laughs> to not going to not not get angry and, and go. Everybody, this everybody hates gangrels. And uh, oh, it's all so are you sure you want, don't want to spend a willpower point? You pass that? Nah, man, ah, I'm cool. I got so that. I roll it I three times. ones. Yeah, just like boom. <laughs> Um, so now you've lost two humanity and you took out the party because you frenzied. So I frenzy out and basically I took out my two trusty battle axes and I stick them into our new boss. <laughs> and on this, of course, all tens. I mean, I, I just explode. <laughs> the guy is just a pulpy red fine mist and there's nothing you can do about <laughs> it. Because, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I had stats up the wazoo as gangrels are combat characters. So... So what ends up happening is that all of his minions going, what? We're end up leaving this castle chased by these flesh-crafted monsters just trying to get the hell out of Dodge. And at the end of the session, Ron's going, what the hell am I going to do? That yeah, was the whole you, plot. That this was the, the guy plot, you were yeah. supposed to work for. <laughs> and I'm like, I, 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 I'm sorry. <laughs> so uh, what ended up happening... It's his fault. He's the one that made you roll. ...was that he ended up re- replacing <laughs> that guy with his successor having the other group work for him and then we ended up going to the other he has ended up having to change the entire sides of the plot <laughs> the entire concept of the game had to alter slightly everything that he did had to change in essence because of the one shitty role I had and poor decision I made to not spend a willpower point so yeah that 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 almost killed the party almost ruined the entire campaign for two parties so that that one is actually pretty bad <clears throat> I don't regret it, but it has gotten me the most flack. And so I was playing this sort of arrogant sorcerer, <laughs> raised, raised, you know, rich and everything. And it, this is uh, 4e, so I just gotten a bunch of new tier powers. Oh. So I'm feeling all cocksure. And it was keeping in line with the characters. So everybody's arguing about what they're going to go do, and there's three corridors. I'm like, yeah, <coughs> fuck it, I'm all powerful now. I can cast spells, and it's a sorcerer. Right. So I decided to just go on my own and walk down the hallway. And I picked, I think, I picked the one on the left or whatever, and all of a sudden I'm surrounded by stuff, and it was almost a TPK, <laughs> right? And I don't regret it because it's exactly what the character would have done. I mean, in hindsight, everybody's like, "That's a totally ransom, ransom with that." What's but but people were, I still get hate mail about it, and you know, the people in the party were mad at me for. They're still mad when they it talk really, about it. It, it. A lot of these stories that that that, I'm, that are popping in my brain are really. That's what the character would have done. Yeah, but type of stories. Yeah, uh, but how much can you lean on <laughs> exactly. that? Exactly, ruin everybody's fun just because you have to stay in character. Right. So, you know, keeping in mind that this is a, there's a social aspect to this kind of game, and you sort of have to play well with others. Right. You know, you have to make your decisions based on that, and so, sometimes you you might hold back or do things that you don't feel the character might exactly. Do? This was no, this was totally keeping in line. I mean, th- there were a couple of bad roles. First of all, we have people playing some roles for the first time that they weren't familiar with, so they didn't know their power set. And the other thing is, I think Stu rolled really well for his. <laughs> no, because Tyler Tyler was playing our, our defense guy, and he didn't know half his power set. And then Stu rolled really well, I think, for his your your monsters attack. Well. See, your fault. 
So there were a couple of things at, at play there, other than the fact that I was like bored, bored now, gonna go wander. It was Dude, the, that is the worst thing ever. It was the, the hard. It was, thing. it was the hardest uh, by power level, or they, they didn't use CR. I don't remember what fourth edition used. Uh, threat rating, I think. Or something. No, <coughs> they, they had they had challenge rating. Yeah, they didn't have challenge. Rating. Yeah, fourth no. didn't have challenge rating. Didn't I, I think it had something else? Whatever. Did it? Maybe I think they're back to hit dice now. Yes, they are. Maybe it did have challenge rating. Anyway, it was the hardest encounter you guys ever had relative to your party level. Um, and we'd all just gotten new powers. So I was like, I was, right. I was new. I'm like, That's we're all going through the books going, what can this do now? Forth because and they were doing the whole thing where like they're, the thief and the fighter are sneaking down a hallway and the thief's checking for traps and looking around the corners and they're like being very, very careful. We're gonna, This is the way we're going to go. And then he's like... Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. It was. When all is said and done. We'd and, but, and it, and it resulted in an incredibly long... Very typically fourth edition D and D fight. Yeah, with everybody yelling at me in between. You suck. Why did you do that? So, <laughs> and I also use tactics in that one too because they're like, oh, that's right. There's one healer, right? So these guys can like I don't remember what they're. They were like brutes. You, know, you, had, you had like the you had three tiers of monsters. You had like the shitty ones. Oh yeah, yeah. Then you had like the you had your mook monsters, and you have your like your middle kind. And then you had your boss monsters. Right. This was like the mid level guys. They were all mid level guys. So there was like none. And you're not supposed to have like a mix. And I'm like, fuck this. this has been <laughs> no fights have been too easy. Nobody died, but uh, it was it close. was a long, frustrating. Well, what are they fight. complaining about? Right. Because well, because you know I split the party, and it was hours and hours and hours in one combat session. Always look at the ceiling. Never split the party. <laughs> Always check the tats. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. How long have you been doing this? <laughs> There's some basic, simple goddamn rules. Uh, but you know what? It's. <laughs> but now that my brain starts churning on it, your 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 brother-in-law's backstabbing of the Shadowrun group. Uh, yeah, but that was so, so cool because <laughs> he kind of stumbled into it, though. Well, no, he did because we we started playing Shadowrun four after the new book came out. It was like you need to run a a, 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 a run into some games, and I didn't. I wasn't particularly motivated to do so, but they badgered me into it because my friends do that. And all right, we're all using books, right? Characters right out of the book, and we did. And so everybody who joined, that was that ended up being there was no character generation. Everybody just nope. picked a template out of the yep. book. Yeah, that was the thirteen or player game eventually. And yeah. Run Law picked a guy who had a whole bunch of mob contacts. He goes, "Well, I'm trying to get." So he sold us all out to the mob contacts. So it was basically just all just random effect of him of all the background things that his character that he randomly picked out of the book ended up being, but. What really strikes me a lot, a lot of these stories is that I look back at these stories and being, I remember being so pissed off or or being so afraid that they're going to kick me out of the, the group that now when I look at it back at it like ten years later, I laugh my balls off because it's literally some of the funniest, funniest stories. Yeah, but see, he was he was afraid of that specifically because. You know this this story that 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 the guy emailed in. Where hey, this thing happened and it sucked, but there was no bad blood, and we ha ha. That's fine. His group, his D and D group, was totally not like that. All that baggage, just the stupidest shit carried over, and they they don't they don't talk to each other anymore. Yeah, but he came into our game. You know, he came in from a really bad group. He, oh, dude, toxic. He, yeah, exactly. Whatever. Yeah. It's the group that made me realize how good I had it because. We played all kinds of stuff, and look, stupid shit happens. Bad decisions are made. Bad dice rolls. Yeah, usually it's more bad decisions than anything else. You put yourself <laughs> in a spot where it's like, well, I, that was bad. But we had everybody that we had, including Mitch. Well, thank God for Mitch. 
could roll with that stuff. Yeah, well, we trained them to do that. I mean, how many times have you hit me with a grenade? <laughs> in several role-playing games. You have a, most. Most games. No, and Paul, they're you usually and Paul. <laughs> they're usually stud grades. Put your bitch in. Paul had a theory that if his wizard didn't shoot a crossbow at my paladin and hit it, he would not be able to do anything in a combat. So first round, he would always just sort of hit me. <laughs> Stu's glitter boy has been has been missing a lot with his uh, boom gun. Well, I, uh, that that it's only forty six times ten. Exactly. I, I don't I don't play well, in, in Savage Worlds rifts. It's twelve. It's forty twelve plus four. <laughs> Dear God! And they added well, mega damage rules yeah, to, mega to damage, Savage yeah. Worlds specifically for rifts. But um, I, I I was using I was using my railgun for. Surgical strikes, <laughs> where it's like they give you, you use the small burst template for for the area of effect when mm-hmm. it hit where it hits, and it's like, okay, I'm gonna place it right like that, and I'll miss this guy, and I'll miss this guy, and this guy. Okay, good. Two ones. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, but that happens. It does. There's, there's it no does. way. There's no way around. It. And honestly, it, like I said, if if. If Jim can get over me hitting him with a stun grenade in every single game I have grenade launcher in, that's <laughs> yeah, the way it's going to have to be. And the takeaway, because we've talked about this before, is nobody really remembers the fights they win that were easy and such. What you yeah. remember is the yeah. stuff that all, that went awry, the mistakes that were made, and those are the well, stories you talk about. These uh, are the ones. It depends how you win, though. Uh, I disagree. <laughs> I am no mere hedge mage. Yeah, right. <laughs> that was the easiest uh, cakewalk combat. I had, I had the, a D&D 5th edition game. Uh, the party, I think, was third level, and this is the first time they're going to meet a mage who has fireball. And he's there, and they're he, they're trying to pass this area, and he won't let them through. And he's got a bunch of henchmen; he's got like six or eight henchmen with him. And uh, they have an exchange with him, and he says, "I am no mere hedge mage," because he had this weird ass accent. <laughs> and then I, we rolled in, initiative, and then they, the party says, "We're going to attack." And they, we rolled initiative, and I rolled like a three on the guy's initiative, so he went last. Oh no! He was dead before he got to. Now they're all playing orcs on rhinos, mind you. <laughs> well, <laughs> some of them were orcs on rhinos, but a lot of people on rhinos. I should never have given the rhinos. If I had given them the rhinos, <laughs> that was my biggest mistake. Eye context that is literally one of the greatest things I ever said. I should never give them the rhinos. <laughs> Well, but that's like Mitch's game, where it was like you know the villain for the, all oh, these the upcoming scratch arcs. one Prince of Darkness. Yeah, right. He used Tappy's unconscious body to block the poison darts and kill him in one shot. <laughs> yeah. Because speaking of, of of a dumb thing, that was more of a character decision that I had no clue what I was in for. I was a bodyguard for scorpions in a in a Five Rings game, what? not realizing they were scorpions, and so I got I, I was constantly thrown into the stuff where it was Were like, the masks give you away or anything. Well, no, because they weren't like. like Hiding, but there was all this intrigue around them, and I was just a stupid mantis wandering around. <laughs> Bumpkin mantis oh. was just hilarious. He was just like from like Omaha <laughs> mantis. Like, like when, okay, I remember one specific time we went into we went to a uh, uh, what's the play? It was, a, was it, I think it was a geisha house. Okay. But they're doing some sort of a play, and the whole point is part of this traditional play is the leading lady takes somebody from the audience backstage. And the Mitch, the guy I work for, goes, make sure it's you. Okay. And so I do this, not thinking about it. So we're backstage, and it's like, you know, things are getting pretty good. And I realize everybody snuck into the room around me. Oh, shit, she's probably an assassin. Yeah, she's pulling out poison needles and shit. And so I have nothing. <laughs> I didn't think about it. <laughs> He's at a show. Yeah, all, all my gear is over there. And it's like, what do I do? Uh, I entangle her, and I made, like, the... Yeah, I was pretty good in hand-to-hand combat, and like headbutted her into unconsciousness. And then all I did was finding all the stuff she was going to kill me with. 
<laughs> and but I never learned. The, the next time it was like, oh, this is really dangerous. I we should have told me beforehand. Well, then you would have done it. Well, yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> They just kept tricking him into doing this stuff all the time, and he but, would just. But do that it. wasn't a that wasn't a conscious character concept. That just was. I was just not I'm like eh, this. None of this pertains to me. Uh, maybe I gave you too much credit there, Derp. Yeah, <laughs> sort of Gomer game. pile that always, he always ends up on top anyway. Exactly, and he always did for some reason. It, it was amazing, but well, uh, that, that was dice. That was a hundred percent dice. <laughs> Sergito said in the chat room says you said Mantis, so of course the character's stupid. Yep, absolutely, oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> They're boneheads. I'm gonna, I'm gonna yes, but that wasn't intentional on my part. That just was. <laughs> I've, I've started um, reading through the L5R Fourth Edition book again because I'm going to I'm going to run another campaign because uh, we did the the saga Inukai thing, right. which I sort of made up a minor uh, family in the Crane Clan and gave them a little area. Um, it's going to be in a sort of the same continuum, but it'll be a different part of it. But I've been uh, watching uh, what I did for the first time. I ran it as I watched as many samurai movies as I could possibly watch to get the whole mindset of that culture mm-hmm. down. Um, and uh, last night I finished watching Ron. Oh, great movie! Oh my god, it's King Lear! Yeah, yeah. But I, I have the Criterion edition of that. Oh, do you really? Yeah. It was fantastic. And Hulu used to have a ton. Yeah, of that stuff. so mercurial what they have and have and, and don't have. It. Like they used to have like every Zatoichi film there was, none, not one. They don't have any samurai films that aren't animated right now. Yeah, which is well, terrible. Yeah, that's just, that's the that's the world of shifting rights. Right. Yeah, but I can't find where they all went because there's a lot of uh, what is it? Was it Forty Seven Assassins or Forty Seven Ronin? Forty Seven Ronin. Yeah, Forty Seven Ronin. The original, mm-hmm. the, the good one, the, yeah. the good the one. one that that's uh, very really? long. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but the other one had Keanu Reeves in it. it was terrible. <laughs> so by default, the other one it is, is a good a, one. Is a movie based on a movie with the same title as it's, it had nothing to do nothing with it. Most Kurosawa films, I mean, should fit the bill, right? Yeah, but no one's streaming them. I mean, I can buy them, hmm. but no one's streaming any Kurosawa. I was really? especially like Toshiro Mifune. I'm a big oh, yeah, fan. Yeah, me of too. Shiro. He's awesome. What's what's the loss of buying him? Honestly, well, that's true. You know, that's true. It's one of those well, things Ron, where Ron was six dollars to buy to stream on Amazon. I'm like, that's easy yeah. to keep or to rent. To keep, yeah, that's it, was, right. it was like two two ninety nine to rent it and like six ninety nine to buy. I wonder, does Shogun still hold up? Is that or is it really dated now? The the miniseries yeah. with uh, what's his face Richard Chamberlain, Richard Chamberlain. to Jerome Mofuni. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's yeah. Right, yeah. He played. I don't, um, n- I don't the, know. I haven't. Diamond. And Sala. I haven't watched yeah. that. Probably since it was on TV. Yeah. <laughs> In the I haven't back. watched it recently Late either, but I remember 70s. enjoying it's, the crap. It's a real it. good primer, I, as I recall, for, uh, you know, it's a Gaijin's Guide to Japan, right? It, right. It, it talks about honor, it talks about the, 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 what to do, and you're learning as he's learning. Right, yeah. Um, I started reading the book, which is a little long winded. Yeah. And I got about oh, yeah. a quarter of the way through it. Again, before I was prepping that first game. Yeah. That miniseries was really well done. I'd want to see it again and see if it stands up. That's a good question. It, it, I wonder if it might stream out there. I'll look that up. I'll look that up while someone is reading GM Confession from Amar in Vancouver. Pick your up. Okay. <coughs> Pardon the nasaliness. It's my turn to be sick today. Dear Stooby Doo and the Douche Estuary Machine. Douche We have Douche There we go. Yeah, the Mystery Machine. Uh, Amar from Vancouver here with a DM confession slash horror story. Oh, oh, these are great. 
Back in the early days of 4th edition, I ran a game that was a filler campaign. Oh, those are wonderful. By filler, I mean it was a game that was going to be played on game nights when the regular GM couldn't show up, or we had such low attendance that we decided to cancel our regular game. 4th edition was pretty good for this because, you know, it's basically a board game. And how. For some reason, I got it in my head that I wanted to give out a bunch of house-ruled powers to my players. I don't recall why. I was handing out experience like condoms backstage at a Guns N' Roses concert. <laughs> which would never get used, by the way. <clears throat> so extra powers weren't needed at all. Seriously, at the beginning, characters were going <laughs> two or three levels a session. Sounds like one of my games. Yeah. Uh, so the mechanism I chose to infect my players with new abilities was to have them wade through a chest-deep lake of green goo, make a few saves on the way through, and acquire some random powers slash curses based on the result of the roll on a table. Just writing that makes me shake my head. <laughs> my players had a different idea on encountering a steaming lake of green goo in a subterranean passage. They opted to try and climb over it. Being seasoned D&D players, every one of them had ropes, iron spikes, climbing kits, etc. The next three hours of role-playing involved the players creating triple-redundant rope safety systems and me coming up with every way I could think of to try and knock them off the ceiling and in the goo. The lake was steaming, so it was slick with slime. They were under volcanoes, so tremors and shaking were common. A fissure directly in their path was blasting toxic hot gas blocking their way, yada, yada, yada. Three real-time hours Holy later, crap. two of the players <laughs> waited up on the far shore, and the other two climbed down from the ceiling. Of course, as I was wearing my king-size conductor's hat, I said, since you all have spent the last several hours <laughs> laboring through the slime steam, you each contract an infection. Roll on the random table. The look of pure hatred directed at me by my players, who had actually managed to get through my gauntlet of clock blockery, was my first clue that I may be doing something wrong. I was such an asshole that night. The gauntlet of cock blockery is such that a is great beautiful. Term phrase. It's my system of a down cover. Uh, there are so many things wrong with this approach, most of which has been covered in your gem of a podcast already. What really stands out to me, though, is how, in the moment, I was utterly oblivious to what the shitty team I was being. Within 20 minutes of finishing that encounter, I was already aware how stupid it was to let it go for that long, but somehow, while I was doing it, I couldn't see the players were completely disengaged. I was blinded by the light coming off my heavenly railroad tracks. <laughs> I guess the moral of the story is, it doesn't matter how scenic the view is if your players are asleep on the train. Thanks for your tireless efforts on behalf of the role-playing community. Cheers. Amar from Vancouver, BC. Not that other less Vancouver. You heard me, Washington. Smack monkey on the forums. P.S. Douchebags. Drink, douchebags, drink. Nice. And I'm still getting over the system of a down cover band joke. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, the, the, I guess my take on that is that, yeah, when you have something you want to see done, if that's the linchpin of what you're trying to do, um, people can get combative. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, hey, you're ruining my story. Hey, you're ruining my gaming experience. There's absolutely nothing wrong with saying this happens. Yeah. I mean, it's we had a friend create a rule in games called the drop rule. Because invariably you'd be surrounded. Yeah, well, him specifically. You'd be surrounded by bad guys, and despite this, the, the well laid plans and the cleverness of everything, the party uh, would find a way out of it. Mainly by either being generally badasses, going first, any other number of reasons. But there's a certain point where it's like they have the drop on you, you don't. Sorry. And 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 it it's, it was just a lesson of sometimes for for the sake of the story certain things <coughs> just happen and the players just have to be okay with it um, and and trying to create some kind of really convoluted situation or mechanism where you're trying to force 
people to roll or roll their way into whatever you're doing, there that can turn sour on you so fast, mm-hmm. so hard. Yeah, the, the the easy solution to that save three hours is you walk into this room. There's the goop. You go around it. Oh well, the toxic gas gives you this. Start rolling. Yeah, there you go. Save you three hours. Done. <laughs> right. Yeah, and There's then and then hopefully at that point, since you saved three hours and didn't turn it into an us versus them thing, they're cool with. Oh, now I can do this stuff. Great. There is yeah. a thing that happens, and I think it has to come from, through experience, which is a GM sometimes isn't always engaged with watching their players. Uh, Stu's talked about this before, too, which is sometimes you don't know that they're not having a good time. You're caught up in all the rules and machinations and looking stuff up, and you're not scanning the table, and you're not reading the vibe. And I think that that comes through experience. After a while, you just begin to relax, and then you can feel the vibe off the table. I, and that, that's a... That's a problem that I think you can resolve through experience. It sounds like you picked it up at the end of your encounter. You're like, uh-oh. I mean, it, what, they didn't come to you later with torches and pitchforks and try to, you know, you're never GMing again, get the hell out of the apartment. They, they be, you know, you realized 20 minutes later, like, I think I really botched this. Oops. Well, you guys as performers should have a particularly good insight at that because well, that, certain as you're performing, you're reading the crowd and trying to figure out what you, you Absolutely. Do I mean, uh, that's what I, I consider that to be one of my primary jobs in the band while everyone else is performing. I'm in the back <coughs> playing bazooki and I'm standing up on a big box and I can see the whole audience and I'm looking. Okay, during the song, is there anyone who's like completely disengaged or walking away? If people leave... How many people leave? Did they come from different areas? Is it one group who was looking at their watch and realized they missed something? So I'm always doing that. And then, you know, if, so- if we have too many people leave during a song, okay, we're not going to try that song on the next set. We're going to do something else. We do oh, that all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's very important from any artistic endeavor to try to basically read what your audience is, is picking up from what right. you're doing. And, you know, don't, don't, don't mislabel it. As a GM, you are a performer. Uh, Absolutely, in, in, in just about every aspect of it, you're making up voices, you're making up characters, you're making up stories, you're setting scenes, uh, you're painting pictures with words. Sometimes you're painting pictures that you hang out, uh, hand out. Uh, so it, it it it's very important for you to garner feedback from from your group. I think that's that's, that, that's, that's when important. a game works well is when you get that feedback loop going. You know, the players are, are are jazzed, and then they start feeding you ideas, or you just or you just get. Off on the fact that they're getting off on your game, and they, and then they get off on the fact mm-hmm. that you, so you bounce back and forth. And oh, that's pretty, it creates really an energy loop. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And but just just like when we're on stage and the audience is digging and we play better, it's a whole. It, it, it's a, it's a special thing. But I think new GMs don't always do that. They get caught up in the minutia. They they're not always paying attention. There's because there's a lot of balls in the air when you're jamming, right. especially new and maybe you're not familiar with the rule set or whatever. And you're not paying true attention. I think through time and experience, you begin to sit back. And you can watch your players, and you, you you're aware of it. I think also with situations like this, he he had the best of intentions. He just got Absolutely. caught up in in all the minutiae. Got caught up in, in having this one thing happen and lost and right. lost perspective. But at the same time, though, let's not put this all on the GM. As a player, if all of you are like, what's the point? Say something. Yeah. I mean, don't go to that a lot because he yeah. may be setting up, he may be building to something, but at some point, if you're completely disengaged from the game, the further you get, the less chance, no matter what cool thing he's plotting, is going to drag you back in. You need to have that communication as a player. When, you, a player. when you peel away the layers, though, and you get to the core of it, it's a trust issue. Yeah. So, you know, a, a, as a GM, you need to trust your players, but conversely, also as, as a player, you need to really trust your GM. And mm-hmm. that, you know, 
it, he he's not your adversary. He's there to do something in there. And a lot of times, as a GM, I'm going, oh, look, I'm building to something, and I know this is kind of weird, but just be patient with me. Just saying something like that goes a long way to save your butt in, in a situation where they're just trying to solve a puzzle. If you're not letting them know what kind of puzzle they're solving, right. they're going to go any which way direction, any direction that they, that they possibly can to solve that puzzle. So sometimes you just have to remove the GM screen and just to have a frank conversation and go, hey, I know this is kind of weird, guys, but bear with me. I, I, I have a plan. Or just go, hey, I notice you guys are really frustrated. This is where I'm going. Um, if you, if I find that certain GMs I play with, I will just go along with whatever the heck they do because I just trust them implicitly and sure. I know that things are going to work out. They're, they're not going to try to screw me there's, over. Hey, there's a plot hook. Let's pick that up. Exactly. So, you know, in one of those situations where, where if, if you... Just sometimes just trust your jam, man. Or notice when he when he's constantly trying to shove you into a direction. Sometimes it's just in your best interest to go that direction yeah. instead of just resisting it. Yeah. Well, especially if your long term experience with any particular GM is story is the key part. I mean that's that's where yeah. I've been lucky is that you know back to my brother in law and his shitty D and D group is they they basically got around I think to antagonize each other. Whereas I've had this long experience where. We're telling a story, and it's a collaborative thing. And yeah, people die occasionally, or things don't go your way. And but everybody has their moment to shine. Everybody has their part of the story, and that's what it's about. So you're willing, at least in my case, willing to go along with that, willing to give them more slack or more credit. It's like okay, we'll, we'll, we'll ride the roller coaster. You're not steering it; just ride the roller coaster. Sometimes, and 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 sure, it's fun to have agency and fun to contribute to the story, but. You know, and every once in a while, he just sort of let well, go. And, and I was going to say, I actually sometimes um, some of the some of the newer games, I, it's exhausting to keep driving the thing forward. Sometimes I just like a good railroad, especially yeah. if it's taking me to a setup of some sort. It's like uh, yeah, it, maybe it's the beginning of the thing, or or you're you're you're, you're, you're traveling to, and and right. so he's 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 narrating a story or getting you to a to a part where you can then pick up again. I don't mind that, and, and many times, like you just said, sometimes it's okay to just go along for the ride because yeah. you know that he's put some thought into this. Right. But conversely, I don't want every one of my actions Absolutely. to have been dictated to me or thought out. Right. Um, well, there's a, yeah. there should be a balance. <laughs> you you need to feel that you you you're sort of directing your character and 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 have like I said agency in 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 what the character is doing, but it's. Sometimes just far more simple from a GM and from a GM yeah. point of view to go. This just happened, and just say that it just happened. And it's very important for the player character to just be okay with that, yeah. as long as that tool is not over you. And we discuss that all the time, too, especially with the uh, investigative games. Like, give them the clue. If yeah. you're going to have them roll for it or have them check for stuff, Perception you're not you're wasting everybody's time. Just tell them stuff so That's that they can solve the puzzle. Yeah. Me and Jim Pinto, one of these days, are going to get in a fist fight <laughs> fighting people about freaking perception. <laughs> Hate, hate perception checks. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm in that camp these days. I too. think a lot of times perception checks are a stalling tactic. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with the, you totally. By the GM to like, she's like, okay, I'm not yeah, sure yeah. what. Uh, perception. perception. Well, <laughs> sometimes also it's just you're unfamiliar, and so you want you want to be fair. Uh, everybody roll a perception check because I, I don't know I don't know who, uh, who. When if I ask for a perception check as a GM, I feel like I'm admitting I don't know what's going on. Okay, fair enough. That's basically what I'm saying. It, it, every time I ask for a perception check, it, whenever I stumble into it, is because I'm not really sure what's going on, and I want 
I want to use that character's point of view as sort of like a gateway to try to make something up. I'm, sure. I've sort of blended the two, which is I'll have people roll a perception check, knowing that I'm going to give them the clue, but whoever wins the highest is the one I give the clue to. Or yeah. is the one I right. tell them that they notice something. Especially, and, and I sometimes want to see a failure. It's like, I know you guys are going to get this, but I just want to see how well you succeed. Ooh, a fail. Now all of a sudden the story might get more interesting. Yeah, but what it does to, the, to a narrative in general when you tell somebody to look for something yeah. and they go, oh, you found nothing. Right. That, that, right. It completely right. destroys right. every and in, in any reality that you've set up. Right. So if you're going to do perception checks, I like said, okay, I roll your perception checks. Yeah. That's the only skill roll or whatever yeah. attribute roll that I yeah. roll for you. But I roll for it because there are obvious advantages for the GM to roll And it makes so much more sense if somebody goes, hey, I noticed, yeah. Or you can just send it to them and do, whether they want to alert the party or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes One sense. of the things I really hate is games like uh, the games that have a perception skill. Yeah. But it isn't part of any basic skill makeup of any generic character. So a lot of times you either forget or don't know to put that perception skill in. And you have an entire group <coughs> of characters that have zero perception skill. Exactly. Right. Okay. They're all mantis. They're, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> all right. Uh, I've just found uh, a press release. Uh, uh, turnstile attendance at Gen Con was 207,979. Holy smokes. But that's how many that's people walk past. Yeah. That's a right. daily thing. And I never even went through a turnstile. Because so <laughs> there's the, the convention center, there's like probably 40 entrance doors and most uh, most of them don't have entrance doors. Oh, that, that number's out there somewhere. If they legitimately sold out, they, somebody came up with a number in their head. And they said, said this it, is the it's over 60. And they said for the third consecutive year, uh, Gen Con targeted an approximate 60, 000, attendance of 60,000 unique attendees. Um, the, the other thing we found out when we got there was that they might be giants were playing in, oh. in the stadium or in one of the... They had some other building that they'd rented out and they had a they did a concert there, but we didn't even know about that. My wife bought me sucks because I think uh, Bill's a big fan. He is; he's a huge fan. My wife bought me a They Might Be Giants concert DVD two weeks later. I proposed. Oh, see, so They Might Be Giants has, has uh, <laughs> right. very powerful uh, music. Yeah, absolutely. The do. thing is, I mentioned once that I like that band, and she bought that for me. Mm-hmm. So it's that kind of like just like I notice things about I see you kind of thing that really no perception roll required. No reception. She just she just. <laughs> I think more an investigation, but yeah. whatever. <laughs> she critted. I think as a general rule, you can say that most women have a perception bonus. Mm. <laughs> Either that or we have a, a penalty. <laughs> An obtuse bonus. Yeah. <laughs> Generally speaking. All right. For season 20, episode 3 of Happy Checks Over Podcast. My name is Stu. I'm Jim. Mike. Stork. And thank you guys for coming. I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for having us. Really oh, yeah. appreciate it. And we'll see, obviously see you next weekend. Yes, you will. Next weekend. See you. That's right. And yeah. we'll see you there too. And by the way, we'll be doing a live show at 8 p.m. on Saturday. Uh, and we're going to try to stream it with video again. Leave my life hard. Wish us luck. <laughs> thank you very much. We'll leave with a song. Bye. Goons or dungeons and dragons Hero can find the fatal savage lands Evil plans will be usurping Though we could do with less burping Happy
Bum, 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 bum.